Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, we're in the middle of our... Uh, of our great guest week. We have uh, Jeff Childers was on yesterday from Childers Law. That was a fabulous discussion. I can't tell you how, uh, how I just, you know, loved it, <laughs> yeah, how, how much fun we had. You know, it was, it's great. I love talking to lawyers. Uh, I'm not one. I just, you know, I thought about it. <laughs> I, then I looked at the cost of law school and the loans. and I'm thinking, I can't do this. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot to be responsible for. I, I didn't know that, uh, you know, someone was going to come along, steal the White House and, and uh, said you didn't have to pay your loans back. So that was kind of a shock. So, oh, gee, I wonder. No, I wouldn't have done it. It's not the right thing to do. Um, but it was just fascinating, you know, the, the going over the Constitution and the rules and the laws and uh, finally getting a good definition of equity. I mean, that was great. The, you know, that alone. You know, was amazingly helpful, and just being able to talk about some of the, 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 the inadequacies in the legal system in terms of the, the judges and the uh, the lawyers that don't they really don't understand the Constitution or constitutional rights. And what I posed to Jeff the question that you know it comes down to the whole COVID thing comes down to two arguments. On the government side, they're saying it's an emergency; millions of people are going to die. We can do whatever we want. You know, and I'm coming down and, and Jeff's coming down pretty much. Well, I'll let him speak for himself, but uh, I'm coming down and saying, no, <laughs> Constitution's always enforced. And I'm not the only one saying this. Jim Jordan, you know, a congressman from Ohio, incidentally, um, we'll talk about that too, said pretty much the same thing that the Constitution is most needed when people are trying to take away your rights. That's what it's all about. And Jeff pointed out yesterday that uh, the Constitution itself was written during an emergency. You know, there was a war for independence, there's a war going on, <laughs> you know, or, or we had just had the war. And now we're trying to create a government. So it came out of an emergency. So that's why there's no, there's no declaration in the Constitution for a, an override for an emergency. Because, and as Jeff talked about a little bit later, uh, and I got this from his, his trial tapes, which I watched a couple of them, the, the Gainesville mask mandate particularly, that the Weimar Republic you know, had a great Constitution, um, except they had this one clause that said it could be overridden in an emergency. Well, the government, all governments do that. And then, of course, they, they create an emergency or they, they make one up or they, they cause one or, or they take one and make it an emergency when it's really not. Climate change, <laughs> a perfect example of a non-emergency, a uh, perfect example of something completely made up uh, in order to uh, steal all your rights away under the guise of an emergency. And so the fact that our Constitution does not have an emergency override is incredibly significant. People need to know that. And that's one of those things not taught in school. So there's a few things that should be taught in school in terms of, of legal things. One, that the, the Supreme Court are judges, not justices. It says judges in the Constitution, Article 3. Don't, don't take my word for it. Read it. You know, I don't make this stuff up. You know, I read it too. <laughs> that's where I get it from, right? So, so that's the first thing. Second thing is that judges are only there for terms of good behavior. And thirdly, there's no interpretations clause. There's no ability, legal ability, constitutional authority of the Supreme Court or any judge to interpret anything. <laughs> it's just not there. You know, I mean, the state courts, maybe. I mean, that's, that's different. The, the state constitutions, they can, they can, they can throw in a, 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 an ability to interpret if they want. I think it's stupid because you, you don't want judges interpreting and judges can't do that. See, judges can't make law or policy. All they can do is, uh, is decide cases. Uh, or, or issue opinions on cases in the case of the Supreme Court. And so they issue, they issue a legal opinion, and then that's supposed to influence the other branches of government to uh, uh, take the correct action. In other words, if there's a dispute between Congress and the president, uh, and they go to the Supreme Court, 
and the Supreme Court, you know, issues an opinion in favor of Congress, then the president is supposed to do what Congress wants. If the uh, Supreme Court issues a, an opinion in favor of the president, then Congress has to do what the president wants. I mean, that, that's how it works. That's, that's why there are three branches of government. That's why there are checks and balances. So two out of three is meatloaf saying two out of three ain't bad. So, meatloaf, so we use the meatloaf philosophy for Congress, two out of three. <laughs> okay. So I want to think – I amuse myself when I do this show, but uh, there's a thought, you know, that's basically how government's supposed to work. Checks and balances. Well, if you have two out of three, then you've got, uh, then that's pretty strong, you know, so the third branch has to go, okay, fine. Uh, And then, of course, if the, the, uh, but what's missing from the argument always is when the, excuse me, when the Congress and the president uh, issue an opinion or a law uh, against the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court thinks they're above that. And see, this is where the problem comes in because they're not. They're, they're just another branch of government. In fact, they're supposed to be the weakest branch because all they do is issue opinions. They don't have executive orders, which have the force of law. Uh, they don't have laws, <laughs> which have the force of law that the Congress has. Uh, they just have opinions, you know, and, uh, and they can make decisions within the, the disputed parties. And that's what they can do. And that's it. So their case ends. Their authority ends where the case ends. You know, and they don't seem to know that. They, they say this ridiculous notion that they have judicial review, that they can, uh, you know, make stuff up and they can declare rights and they can issue policies and they can, uh, you know, totally re- do everything with their plans. You know, they, they, it got so bad. <laughs> now they've created what gay marriage, Roe v. Wade and all these other things. Now they still have to correct. They corrected Roe v. Wade. They've corrected that mistake. But that could have been corrected by the states by simply saying, no, you don't have the authority to do this. We don't recognize this decision or opinion. Well, that's the way to go. Anyway, so the point is when it comes to COVID, what's so interesting about this is that these judges in the, the district court of, uh, of Florida uh, did exactly the same thing as they do on the Supreme Court and every other judge does. They go to their case law. They go to, what, uh, they go to precedent. They forget the fact that there's a constitution. You know, nowhere in that discussion of, of mask mandates, uh, when I watched the video, did the Fourth Amendment come up? The seizure of your, that's really what the COVID mandates are all about. They're Fourth Amendment seizures without due process. Because they apply to everybody. And, and nobody has a, you know, they just mandate. Mandates are, are ob- absolutely against the Fourth Amendment. You know, you can't issue a mandate, you know. And it goes, well, but, it's, but it's in the public interest. The, the experts have said, you know, we'll all be cured. We'll be safe. We'll be fine. Nonsense. It's still up to you. And how do you know they're right? You know, how do you test whether the government policies and recommendations are right if you don't have the freedom to challenge them? See, this is why the Constitution is so important. This is why you always have your rights, regardless of the severity of the emergency, whether it's nuclear war or the worst pandemic in the world. You still have your constitutional rights. Why? Because the government is probably going to make it worse, whatever it is. You look at the dispute between Ukraine and and Russia. Who made it worse? Brandon, the globalists. Are they right? No. And they've given away hundreds of billions of dollars of our money. So you can, you, you can claim expert and you can claim government and policy and public interest and all these other lofty sounding terms. And it doesn't matter because it all comes down to the Constitution. Okay? Do we have the right to challenge our government? And of course, the answer is yes. So you look at COVID, and uh, this is probably a good time to talk about this. I talked about it a little bit with Jeff, but not really as much as I, as I, as I, as I wanted to because I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. It's during my open hours, you get to hear what I, I want to say. <laughs> but during the, and you can call in too, 215-383-3832, or uh, go to live chat, uh, or, or um, you know, message Facebook if you're a Facebook friend. Um, but uh, the best way to reach me is right here on the show, 215-383-3832. Uh, and then live, live chat's even better, especially your first-time caller, go to live chat. And give me your name and 
uh, and, uh, you know, location, first name, <clears throat> and then we can talk. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just go to commercial and screen, you know. And so most people still listen by podcast, so I don't have a lot of screening that I have to do. Nor do we get a lot of callers unless they're prearranged guests. And it's just for that reason. I say 90, 95% of people do not listen live. Uh, they catch it on the podcast. And, of course, you can't call in during the podcast, you know, because I'm not here <laughs> doing something else. Um, but let's talk about freedom. And I, I really came upon this with Jen Clark when we wrote our bill, um, the, Austra- the, bill uh, the Australian Bill of Individual Rights. And it's, it's right there on writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, L-A-W-S. Slow down, Greg. Uh, writeyourlaws.com. So you go to, uh, go to writeyourlaws.com, click on legislation, which is the second item on the menu bar, go down three to uh, all proposed laws, click on that, and you'll find the Australian Bill of Individual Rights. And so this is, there's a lot there that's brand new, you know, mind and body autonomy, uh, the choice of, of how you live, what, what your energy source is, you know, things like that. This is brand new concepts of freedom uh, that we basically wrote, we came up with. And so it's fascinating. But one of the things that we discovered when we were talking about COVID, uh, Australia to the United States, uh, is that freedom would have stopped this in about six months, whereas government mandates it's still going on because the government screwed up. I still believe the vaccine is a screw-up. I do. Now how, now, how to put that nicely to Dr. Robert Malone tomorrow, who invented it, the messenger RNA vaccine, that's going to be an interesting challenge because I do not go out of my way to offend my guests. I want to get information from them. I'm not here to insult. I'm not here to ambush. I'm not here to uh, denigrate. I'm here to, hear, to see what they know. You decide. You know, you decide if you, if you like the information or not. You know, and so and I'll decide too. <laughs> Basically something, you know, the next day after the interview, you know, but, but uh, generally... Uh, my goal, my job here with guests of the show, especially major public figure guests, is to, is to elicit information. I want them to I ask very broad, very general, very open-ended questions for the sole purpose of letting them talk. And so that's what I did with Jeff. That's what I did with Dr. Peter McCullough. That's what I've done with uh, Peter Navarro, you know, Christina Bob, you know, some of the other fabulous people, Robert Spencer, some of the amazing people that have been on the show. That's how I do it. And that's why I do it. I want to hear what they have to say. I know that sounds weird for a talk show, but it's true. Then I'll, I'll always have my, I always have another hour. I can, I can say what I want to say, like now. Okay, so freedom versus, versus tyranny in the COVID crisis. If you look at freedom, uh, the Constitution, you know, the fact that uh, mandates are absolutely unconstitutional unless there is due process. And so due process would be, you know, testing you for a communicable disease, finding that you have, uh, that you're, you're positive for symptoms and using an accurate test to determine that you actually have the disease that they're talking about, then you can be quarantined. Okay. And that's, that's public health. Public health is not, everybody gets the vaccine. Everybody wears masks. Everybody is guilty. Everybody can transfer this asymptomatically. This is all nonsense. They did that just to sell the vaccine. Remember, this is a bioweapon marketing plan. It's a bioweapon, you know, to reduce the population. And it's a marketing plan to make everybody rich. And so they don't care. You know, Jeff brought this up yesterday. The ends justify the means. Well, the ends are profit and, and lower population. Well, how do, you get a, how do you reduce the population and make billions of dollars at the same time? You have a bioweapon with a guaranteed marketing plan with mandates. And, and you convince the people that this is the right thing to do when it's the wrong thing to do, I think. Well, if you want to take a vaccine, I mean, you know, this is a non-vaccine. Um, now, I, I can't stop you, and I don't want to. Well, actually, I do. <laughs> this is not quite true. Um, I'll, I'll try and convince you not to, but I would never make them illegal, you know, because you have choice. And part of the freedom uh, of choice is the freedom to be wrong, because the people that are judged wrong many times later are the ones that are correct. Galileo, Newton, Dr. Zelenko, <laughs> you know, all these folks throughout history that were judged wrong initially. 
And so if you do not have the ability to question your government, if your only choice is to accept what the government expert says, then you don't have any freedom. And many times freedom uh, is the answer. So what's the, you know, COVID, the answer to COVID was freedom. Look at Christy Noem in South Dakota, the one state that didn't lock down, kept their schools going, you know, had the motorcycle rally and uh, Sturgis and did all the other things that they do in South Dakota. They were fine. Okay, then you say, well, gee, it's a small population. They're all white people, you know, whatever. Go away from me. <laughs> you know, uh, the fact is COVID's airborne transmits from people to people. So whenever people get together, I don't care how few the population is. I don't care how, you know, what, uh, uh, whatever your excuse demographically. But so when people get together, they can transmit, uh, uh, the, you know, the virus because it goes through the air. It goes through the mask, too, by the way. <laughs> That's the other thing we found out. So freedom. What did freedom say? Freedom said, we're going to let doctors find what works, and they're going to, we're going to let doctors tell everybody else what works. That's what Freedom said. Freedom said that Dr. Selenko could uh, give hydroxychloroquine to President Trump, and if he found it worked, he could go, you know what, this is pretty good stuff. You know? Freedom said that ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D3, vitamin C, you know, the usual stuff, azithromycin, the Selenko protocol, you know, the different things that people were using, monoclonal antibodies. I'm not an expert on any of these, but the thing was that they, they were all tried. Uh, oxygen treatments, you know, all kinds of different things, steroids. You know, these are just things popping into my head. Uh, there were a bunch of different treatments, you know, and, of course, preventions too, you know, exercise, fresh air, vitamin D, you know, the usual stuff that keeps us healthy, uh, boosting your immune system. Any of the uh, you know the foods and uh, supplements and things that boost your immune system, you know garlic and onions. I mean, go back to basics. <laughs> yeah. What'd your grandmother tell you? <laughs> Eat garlic and onions. Yeah, then brush your teeth before you talk to people. Basics. This is the basics, right? Garlic and onions are are, are disease uh, affecting things because they got good stuff in them. <laughs> okay, you know, and and there are other foods too. So so do your do your own research. Do boost your own immune system, and then when you get a, a virus and get over it, which ninety nine plus percent of the people did before they even knew what it was. They'd already been over it. That's why another reason the vaccines were, were so, so, such a stupid waste of time, I think, because most people were already over it before, long before they got the shot. It's like polio. Polio was gone before Jonas Salk came out with his polio vaccine. Vaccine didn't stop polio. Polio was pretty much done. It was done because, and we've talked about this on the show any number of times. It was done because of sewers. It was done because of chlorine in the swimming pools. It was done because of clean, fresh water. Uh, it's a waterborne fecal disease like E. coli. That's what polio is. Clean up the swimming pools. You know, clean up the, the swimming holes. You clean up the, uh, you know, the sewers. You know, stop, uh, you make the groundwater clean. You know, you're, you're in pretty good shape. You know, so remember the, the three, uh, the Roman definitions of, of civilized city. Fresh water, good sewage, and good roads. <laughs> if you got those things, you're all set. Um, which will take me to Ohio in just a little bit. So, so freedom, freedom works. You know, uh, Dr. Ben Marvel, you know, myfreedoctor.com, um, getting out these things that worked. And so you know they worked because the people they worked on are still here. Okay? See, that's the difference. So the Constitution actually cured COVID. You know, I've never said that before, but let me, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. The Constitution cured COVID by about July of 2020. It appeared, you know, January of 2020 by July, six months later, by July, it was gone. So how did it come back? The government brought it back. Okay. My contention is the government brought it back. It was done. I've got a CDC chart to prove it. You know, started in January, spiked April 15th, tax day, which is rather ironic. uh, And it was pretty much gone by July 4th. So I put mid-July as the end point of, of natural COVID. And then you had government COVID. When they switched from, and they, mostly it was artificial in terms of uh, the numbers. So the, the actual COVID virus was pretty much gone, um, except for those that were really susceptible to it. 
Um, but they made everybody susceptible by lying about it, by boosting, by having the PCR test not tell the truth. Everybody thought they had COVID. And a lot of people did get sick, you know, and you wonder how much is self-fulfilling. You, know, you wonder how much COVID was spread due to the isolation, the lockdowns, the, the hardships, the uh, financial losses, the business losses, you know, all the other trauma that was caused by the government policies, I think, exacerbated COVID. Whereas if they'd come out, you know, and, and Trump, and this is why I fault him, and I hope to talk about him with this one someday, but again, I'm going to be careful because I don't want to alienate uh, completely, but I want, to, I want to find out information. I want to find out what he knew, when he knew it, and what he really thinks about it. But the thing is that uh, if, uh, if Trump had come out and said, hey, this, is, this is something we can handle, this is not that big a deal, this, uh, we've got, hydro- you know, Peter Navarro had 80 million hydroxychloroquine tablets ready to, to be distributed. That would have knocked this thing out cold in, in like a couple of weeks. They didn't do that because the government wanted, not, not Trump, but the government, you know, Dr. Fascist and the other folks, they wanted to preserve COVID so they could, they could get their, their bioweapons out into everybody's arm and make you so scared you'd volunteer to put it in. Now, one of the things I want to talk to Robert, Dr. Robert Malone about tomorrow is the difference between what he created, what he invented, and there's some dispute on that on, on the South Santa Rosa News. If you go to South Santa, Rosa, South Santa Rosa News on the Facebook page, I'm having a discussion with a couple of people regarding, um, regarding the trials, regarding some other things, aspects of, the, of who actually came up with this. That, to me, is not as significant as what the people that worked on it intended for it and what the result was. That's what I want to find out. And so, uh, you know, and, and I don't think uh, Dr. Malone would be would have a problem with that, considering he's been on Dr. Uh, Senator Johnson's panels twice. You know, he's been around the country. He's been in all kinds of places, uh, you know, Joe Rogan, where I hope to be in a bunch of other places talking about this very thing. And so I want to know what he intended, uh, what he designed, what he tried to create uh, and how it was used. And uh, did it, you know, is it working as intended? I, I bet she's going to say no. But that's what I want to find out. So we'll ask. You know, that's how, that's how we do. We ask questions, big questions, and hopefully we'll get big answers. So freedom, we know freedom works. Freedom, freedom cured COVID, freedom ended COVID, freedom built up natural immunity, freedom, you know, free of masks, free of, of uh, you know, jab mandates, free of anything else like that. Freedom worked, you know, because it went through, through the country so fast. You know, say it went through this area. I'll talk to CJ about this later. CJ's wellness watch in the third hour. But COVID went through here and here being Milton, Florida, so we're talking New Orleans, Pensacola, you know, uh, Tallahassee, <laughs> the Gulf Coast, right? Um, basically went through here in, in late December 2019, early January 2020, and ripped through all of us. And it was gone. And then we were all immune. And then we heard about it, this, this virus that was coming. And then a lot of us determined, well, we'd already had it, <laughs> you know, which means we're immune because we know how viruses work. Once you have it, you're immune. That's, you know, it's lifetime immunity because your, your immune system, it kind of goes dormant. Then if, if you get more of the virus, your, your immune system goes, oh, it's back. You know, they're back. And so the immune system takes care of it. So that's why I never worried about it. I, I never thought the vaccine made any sense because I knew I, I was already immune. I already had it. You know, so it doesn't, why would, why would you get, uh, why would you give yourself an artificial drug to teach your body about a virus it already knows more about than the people who came up with uh, the, the vaccine. See, that's the thing. Your immune system already knows more about new, more about COVID after having it than anything that could be jabbed into your arm. Freedom works. The Constitution works. Exercising your rights works. Freedom cured COVID. The Constitution cured COVID. The problem was the government went above the Constitution, around the Constitution, and everybody else, well, not everybody, but a lot of people out there let them do it, including the governor that, that did this and the mayors and the city councils and the county commissions and the courts and all the people that enforced 
know, restrictions on your constitutional rights basically spread COVID. Now, I'll say it right out there. That's how it spread. It spread through fear, ignorance, and an abrogation of our rights. Now, let's take a look at the other side. So we know the freedom, you know, medical treatments that works, evidence, doctors sharing the information. You know, if they'd been free completely to just get the information out there, this would have been gone really quickly. Herd immunity, you know, natural immunity, no, no panic. You know, it's, it's a bug. It's a new bug. We're going to deal with it. And then, of course, we find out who, who you know, perpetrated it. That's, that's still, that question is still open. So let's take a look at what didn't work. What didn't work was the government experts, you know, the uh, Dr. Fascists, the, the health Nazis, all the folks that came out and said, you have to take a vaccine. We have to have one. We can have it in a year. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. It takes 15 years at least, you know, and it takes a track record to prove something is safe and effective. You need clinical trials. You need uh, a lot of stuff. And even then, if you already had it and you're already immune, you don't need it. So the first thing they should have determined was a cost-benefit analysis of the fact that everybody had COVID by a, a, you know, a rather quick amount of time by July. So why would you need to come up with a, a so-called vaccine that's a non-vaccine in December when most people are already over it by July? We've already got herd immunity. Well, because they want to sell the product and they want to get the bioweapon into your arm. See? And that's against our freedom. <laughs> so freedom works. You know, uh, tyranny kills. Government kills. You know, the old expression Reagan used to say, the most dangerous words are, you know, I'm from the government and I'm, and I'm here to help you. Well, I want to modify that a little bit. The most dangerous words are, I'm from the government and I want to kill you. Look at Ohio. Where's the EPA? You know, where's the, where's the Department of Transportation? And I'm not sure. Where's FEMA? I'm not even sure if they got there, there'd be any use. And I'll talk, I'll talk about, uh, you know, death by wokeness in, in, a little, in a little bit here. But let's get back to uh, all the things that didn't work. So what didn't work? Closing the beaches, closing the schools, closing companies that weren't, you know, major corporations contributing to political campaigns, um, putting people out of work, putting people out of their job, you know, creating a, a class of, of welfare bums, you know, what didn't work, isolating families, causing people not to travel, masks everywhere you went, masks on airplanes in an already oxygen depleted environment of a pressurized cabinet, 32,000 feet, you know, everything that the government did prolonged COVID, actually saved COVID. So it looks like the government policy was intended to preserve COVID, not the people, not the American citizen. Because everything they did, they changed the, the way they did the numbers. They changed from uh, deaths to reporting cases. And the cases were made up because the tests were inaccurate. All this is against our constitutional right. Again, the right of free speech implies the right to freedom of information. Okay? Because free speech only works if there's a listener who can get the speech. So in other words, if the doctors who knew from their own experiments, from their own work with people, their own practice of medicine, could, couldn't broadcast what worked, what cured people, well, doctors say treated, I'll say, you know, what got rid of COVID, that's a, that's a First Amendment violation right there. You know, and then the Fourth Amendment violations, you know, we have the right to be secure in our persons, houses, papers, and effects. What are our papers? Well, that's our information. Nowadays, papers include the Internet. So in other words, the, the Fourth Amendment guarantees a secure Internet that we have the freedom of information to speak and be heard. Because the First Amendment, I'll tell you right now, anybody wants to argue with me, come on, come on the air. You know, I'll defend this, that the, the, the right to freedom of speech is nothing without the right to access to be heard. If someone can speak and they cannot be heard, there is no right of free speech. And that's exactly what happened under COVID. Why? Because they had to make the illegal legal and the legal illegal. So the government, pharmaceutical, big tech, fascist conglomerate conspired to violate rights in order to 
push a bioweapon and make billions of dollars. And it's pretty simple. You look at it. They, they censored the information. They had protocols to kill people, the remdesivir ventilator death march. They isolated people, masked people, terrified people, you know, broke up families, ended businesses, mandated all over the place. All of it was unconstitutional. And because of what they did, because they broke the Constitution, they preserved COVID. See, every, every policy was every isolation, every mask, every everything, every, uh, you know, the, the, the jab. The jab is designed to preserve COVID. It's designed to give you COVID, I think. That's what it looks like. This is why I like to say, driver Malone's going to be so fascinating to talk to you tomorrow. I really want to know the mechanism of how this all works and what he knows about it. And again, it's not the political knowledge that I really want from him. I want the background. I want to know about the pandemic severity guidelines that no one has ever talked about except me, at least not that I've heard. The guidelines were changed three months after Trump took office. The, 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 the previous guidelines, you know, the 2007 interim pandemic guidelines called for five categories ranging from a category one pandemic of, of 90,000 dead to a category five pandemic of more than 1.8 million dead. And that's from the virus, not, not comorbidities, not all this other nonsense, but actually from the virus. So the lockdowns were recommended. The things that were done during COVID were recommended in the old guidelines, the 2007 guidelines, uh, after uh, either approaching 1.8 million dead for category four, you know, 900,000 to 1.8 million, or category five, which is above 1.8 million. I don't know why they drew that line. That's, it's a percent of the population, you know, and so I'm not sure how, how that works exactly. But it, it, they, they figure on a percentage of the population. That's why they came up with the 1.8 million. And so the whole point of that was to be as, as, as least disruptive as possible for the economy and for society, you know, to, with the lockdown provisions. But if it's, if it's really that bad, you know, then, and then we don't have the herd immunity and this is so dangerous that the, all these people are dying, then yeah, then they can take stricter measures. You know, but uh, you, you, can't cause, you can't cause the disease to, to be more severe than it is. So that, that's where the, it all falls short. But anyway, three months after Trump takes office, they get rid of the 2007 guidelines and go to the 2017 guidelines, April 21st. What was the difference? Well, the difference was they got rid of the pandemic severity index and they got rid of any index. And, and the whole purpose of the, the new guidelines was to be able to go to lockdown immediately. Well, how convenient. Now, why would they do that? Why would they take a 2007 guideline under the Bush administration with categories and a pandemic severity index to gradually ratchet up as the problem, as the pandemic appears more severe, you know, uh, each time, then, and then just get rid of all the indexes and go immediately to full lockdown, you know, on, on, I don't know, one case, two cases, however many cases they want. Why would they do that? Well, because they already knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. so, so this is proof to me they knew. So again, if they knew, then they had, they had a, a, a duty to tell us. If they knew two years ahead of time, if they knew two years ahead of time, and this, uh, this would, and I don't know if I can rate, relate this to a constitutional right. This is an interesting thought. But if, the, if members of the government knew, this is where you need good whistleblowers, right? Knew that there was a pandemic coming. Fauci, Fauci even said so, Dr. Fascist. He even said uh, a week before the inauguration, oh, yeah, it looks like, uh, you know, uh, President Trump, he's going he's gonna to have a pandemic sometime during his administration. So Fauci knew. That's why they changed the guidelines. Because under the old guidelines, they could not – I got to drink a water. That was hard to my voice. Uh, under the old guidelines, they could not have done the lockdowns. The old guidelines wouldn't have let them. They would have had to wait for 1.8, you know, approaching 1.8 million people dead from the virus, you know, not from comorbidities and made-up stuff. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know how he talks like that. But I guess he's used to it now. Um, but uh, that's how it would have worked. Again, freedom, 
cured COVID and violating the Constitution preserved it until they could violate our rights further with the jab. That's where I stand on that. All right. Let me uh, take a break here. We'll come back and talk about Ohio and how, uh, how, the, how wokeness is killing the, the, the white people of Ohio. <laughs> you thought it was controversial the first half hour? Wait the second half hour. This is going to be even more controversial. Let me turn a, a page in my notes here. I tell me, like three pages of notes from yesterday. That was such a fabulous chat. So if you want to find any of our interviews, just go to the page you're on now, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. And all shows have individual titles. They're not hard to find. You know, they all have dates on them now. I mean, I'm getting better about that. You know, I got to put, uh, I'll have to fix this one too uh, after the show. But uh, yeah, so, so they're easy, easy to find. And away we go. 728, 728 here, standard time. And I'll take a little break here and I'll be back. And let's talk about Ohio for a bit. I have articles actually. I didn't even start my articles yet. But uh, those I post on, on various Facebook groups, Election Integrity, uh, Trump 2024, our legal project. Um, if, you're, if you're a member of our private group, the Vaccine Project, you know, various different places you can find a lot of the stuff that I have here. So let's start in reverse order today, and I'll be back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. 
That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. So I was thinking when I first heard this that, well, it's a bunch of white people in Ohio. The government doesn't care about them. I thought, no, it can't be that bad. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, it can be that bad. So, so the question I have, and I've got the perfect caller, uh, Pianchi, on the line right now uh, to talk about this, that uh, is the leftist Marxist woke government. I don't really like the term woke, but uh, the anti-white government, uh, the anti-white male government of the Brandon insurrection, which is illegal to begin with, are they purposely ignoring Ohio because they are – you know, basically white Republican Trump supporters? And I think the answer is yes. And so this is, this is death by whiteness, which is a new category we're going to talk about here. So let's, uh, Pianchi, what do you think? Uh, I've changed my view on this. Well, uh, I was listening to you. I'm glad you're becoming controversial. What do you mean becoming controversial? controversial? When, when was I not penetrate. controversial? <laughs> Wait, when was I milk toast? When was yeah. I like... You know, <laughs> Controversial speech has the ability to penetrate ignorance oh, okay. well, thank and you. shake it up. Well, you helped. You know, you, you helped make me what I am today, so so look at the bright side. Well, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'm interested. In, let's talk about this train derailment and, and, and the release okay. of and setting fire, then monitoring the air <laughs> that went on in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, of course, I wouldn't have been a person on the scene that could have directed anything because I wouldn't have been recognized to do so. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still don't understand the logic behind releasing the, the material, the contents of the cars. They hadn't popped open from what I can tell. And uh, I think that they should have been offloaded. The material should have been offloaded into another container. We it surely wasn't from the shaking up and the jarring because you get that from normal transportation on the railroad. So I don't yeah, understand I don't think, this. No, you raise a really great point. In fact, I haven't really looked into it. We certainly should. How many tanks actually ruptured? Because we've talked about the fact these are double, well, like a ship is double hulled. I don't know what you call it, double layered, I guess, for a railroad tanker car. You know. Well, yeah, I believe so, but I, I never had cut one in half to see how it is structured. But I tell you, I think those cars can go through a whole lot before they do rupture. I mean, just look at the shape of them. It looks like a, a a submarine. But the thing is, is the the release into a trough 
and then to ignite, then to claim that you monitor in the air. But good gracious, man, you can see what the heck caused that cause. Yeah, I just looked up uh, uh, how strong are railroad tanker cars. Uh, let, me see, what you, let me see if I can find one here. here here's saferack.com. Uh, types of rail tanker car. So let's, let's go through this a little bit. You know, uh, so we, I, I like to investigate immediately whenever a question comes up. Uh, so I can't do too much, though, because I can't see too much memory from my computer. So what you need to know about the rail tank car, and this is from 7-10-2021. We're all used to seeing the lines of rail tank cars being transported on the railroad, but do you know what the information on each truck means and what to do? Okay, so that's, that's trucks, tanks. Do you, oh, this is just marking. Flash code, construction information. Tank also carries information about its construction. This can be helpful in the case of an accident, <laughs> as it tells responders the type of steel used in the manufacturer. That's interesting. DOT specification is always positioned on the right side of the tank towards the rear to the type of tank car it is and the pressure it's under. See, that's probably why they're round, because the pressure, if you have square, if you have corners on a tanker car and it's pressurized, the pressure is going to go for those corners. It's not going to go, you know, I think if it's around the cylindrical and even round at the ends, the pressure is going to be much more evenly distributed. Does that make sense from a physics point of view? Absolutely. Yes, okay. sir. Thank you. what it thinks on Airplane uh, is like that too, yeah, and not square. No, I mean, well, airplanes are, have to be aerodynamic, but uh, but the inside cabin, I, I believe, the inside cabin, the containment vessel of a cabin inside an airliner is a cylinder, and it's there. I mean, you know, so it's round too. So what you see, the cabin yeah, actually the has a layer, hold, right? Go the wings can hold a fuel list too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it says the DOT but specification you know, is. Go ahead. Okay, DOT specification is always positioned on the right side. Da, da, da. This tells you the type of tank car it is and the pressure that it is under. This is, so this, so what, I'm, what I'm getting from this article immediately is that these people knew, based on the markings on the tanker car, exactly what was in them. They already knew. You know, yeah, like those, uh, marking t- is, those markings are like reading the code. It tells you yeah. uh, the different elements and what, they're, what not to bring into proximity mm-hmm. to those elements. Well, it's like ever see trucks when they go down the highway, those placards, you know, hazardous materials, corrosive, uh, acid, what are some of the, you know, volatile compounds, you know, gas, you know, liquid natural gas, things like that. They have to placard it, you know, so everybody knows in an accident or if something goes wrong or, it was, you know, if, if I'm driving beside a truck that says LNG, liquefied natural gas, I'm going to give it a lot of room because if that thing goes... <laughs> You know, it's several hundred yards of explosion, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, if something happens to a natural gas truck or some of those other hazardous material trucks, chlorine gas, all the things, different things they carry. That's why they pay, you know, tanker drivers, you know, a lot more because they have a hazmat. There's a special certificate to carry hazardous materials if you're a truck driver. I know. I know well, those tankers, those commercials. You know, yeah. I have uh-huh. built some buildings uh-huh. uh, where you have uh, operation goes on producing materials that can become explosive. But for instance, they are designed whereas any uh, explosive force will be vented to the out, to the top, uh, windows are mm-hmm. built and even walls to an extension where mm-hmm. they will, you know, break over to vent the force from the inside. So it just uh, operate as a big, tremendous bomb. And I think mm. the same thing is with these cars, too. Uh, they have mechanisms on the top of the cars uh, that acts as a release valve if the pressure gets to the point where it becomes explosive. 
Well, I wonder too, because a lot of these are they're black, and if if you on a hot day, black absorbs more. I don't know why they're not painted white, you know, so they reflect more heat from the sun because that's going to increase the pressure inside, especially in the summertime. You've already got a warmer air temperature, you know, and if you have a car that absorbs more heat because of the color of it, you know, that would, to me would be, would seem more dangerous. You know, so they have to. Well, have I have seen white ones. Okay. We have seen white ones, but you know, sense. here's the thing, uh-huh. Craig. I think the people that work for the railroad and have a long track record of handling um, hazardous material, mm-hmm. uh, explosive material, and they knew what was best uh, to transport uh, this vinyl chloride. Mm-hmm. I think the problem came about when you bring people on the scene in emergency response, and you made DOT, which is Department of Transportation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even absence of its present leader. But uh, I think that's where the problem came in. Those decisions that was made then, I think that the railroad should have been questioned and asked and, and consulted from my standpoint. But uh, who am I? Well, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I got I to gotta do a quick uh a quick text here for my, my next guest. The man's going to type yes. <laughs> uh, don't mind me. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of multitasking here. Yeah, so one thing okay. for sure uh-huh. is that the material wasn't agitated and made more potentially violent from uh-huh. the transportation because riding on a railroad car is not the smoothest thing in the world. There's no, nothing like flying an airplane. <laughs> Well, you have turbulence in an airplane, and you can have uh, pretty smooth rails. I mean, trucks, some of those highways aren't as smooth as they should be either, you know, so especially if you have stuff on the roads. If you're driving rain on the road or if you have hail or or any any number of other things on the road, you know, leaves blowing on it, and there's all kinds of things that cause road conditions to be be different. Anyway, let me – here's a question that I think you and I should, should ponder here, and this is the fact that why didn't Ohio have jurisdiction? Why did the feds even come in? Where's Ohio? Say it again. Where, where's the state of Ohio? You know, this is, you know, we talk about the, the states having uh, control of their own state. This is a police action, a police power, enforcement of, of chemical regulations. The state of Ohio has their own EPA. The state of Ohio has, I'm sure, railroad regulations and boards. The state of Ohio has a state police. You know, the state of Ohio has a governor. You. you know, where were they? You know, I mean, the, the I EPA. I agree with the state of Ohio had what's called territorial jurisdiction. Yeah, so the federal government should have been in to analyze afterwards, do studies, make recommendations, offer expertise, things like that. But the EPA should not have taken this over. I don't even know if they have any enforcement power as far as this goes. And, the, and some bureaucrat, some woke bureaucrat that happens to fill whatever category, you know, that they're looking for, the category du jour, you know, to, to make these decisions. If a private company did what the EPA authorized, the EPA would be fining them billions of dollars. If a company did what they did. Well, the EPA have what's called, what's that immunity? A qualified immunity. They can do things like that without any repercussions. See, that's the problem. That is the problem right there. This is why the federal government should not be there. There's no need for them to be there. This is an Ohio matter. You know, and all these chemicals have uh, what, what EMS or whatever it's called, data sheets. Every, anybody that's ever worked in a, in a job that has chemicals, they have data sheets on the chemical. What to do if it's spilled, how to protect yourself from it, who to call, what's the response, what's the drill. Every chemical has that. Everybody on board those trains probably has the same data sheets for whatever they're carrying. They have to. 
Every every Absolutely. Regulator. Every contractor. Okay. Every contractor has data sheets for the materials that they use in their operation, whether it's oxygen, mm-hmm. whether it's acetylene, whether it's uh, diesel fuel, mm-hmm. whether it's even water. If yeah. you got a water storage tanks, there's data sheets on that in case of any unex- unexpected occurrences occurring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the other thing, too, that uh, they have as well. It's called a manifest for those that, that don't know. So if you're an airliner, you have a passenger manifest. You have the list of people who are on board your airplane on board. So they know who's on board. If something goes wrong. OK. Or if there's a criminal, you know, uh, the, 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 the feds, they track people internationally, Interpol. You know, they all have manifests of these airliners when you travel internationally. They know, what, what do you think happens when you register your passport? You know, you, you go into a data bank so they know who's flying or who's trying to fly. They know all that stuff. Same thing with the ships. Same thing with ships, but also the same thing with cargo ships and with cargo trains and cargo airplanes. They all have manifests. Now, I'm sure these things are all computerized now. I I don't know for sure. I've never seen one, but I'll bet you that that computer manifest of everything that was on board that train was instantly available to the the state uh, uh, EPA of Ohio. You know, the the goal is to show you how, how, how much complications there is in cargo ships. Every container, first they need to know what's in the container. And that has a lot to do on where on the stacking that the Mm -hmm. containers go. For instance, if you got fireworks, they go all the way out to the front. (laughs) If you got some other chemicals, they in different locations. They make sure that uh, there's no uh, containers in vicinity of others where you can have a possibility of some cross-influence that will cause explosion. And then every yeah. container is matched. They have yeah. the ability now to track a container from when it leaves the point where it's being loaded uh-huh. at the manufacturer, loaded on the ships, transported, the time and date. It has a history where you can tell when that container reaches its final destination. Mm-hmm. Every each, You may have 20,000 containers on the Supermax, and they have those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Here's something else you have, too. They also have to balance uh, weight and center of gravity. You can't have too much weight on the ship or it'll sink. You can't have all the weight at one end or the other end or the left or the right side. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if, you have, if you're transporting lead and feathers, okay, you can't put the lead on one side of the ship and the feathers on the other side. It's not going to work. <laughs> you know? So you've got to put the lead well, and the feathers on Well, even Noah done, that, done a good job with that on his old ark, right? Yeah, exactly. So the ark works. But it's interesting that he wanted um, to have a he wanted to have a jug of wine on each side rather than one in the middle. Huh. Well, there you go. That makes sense. But it's interesting, you know. Did Noah have a manifest? <laughs> These are the questions I should ask Wendy. <laughs> Wendy's been off for a couple of weeks. When she's back, let's say, did Noah have a manifest? Did he do a weight and balance calculation? <laughs> this is pilot talk for for. But ship folks, they have the same thing. You get a private boat. You got to balance it. You can't bring on too much weight. You can't put all the weight on one side of a private boat. It's all the same principles, you know, fluid dynamics, you know, it applies to air and applies to water. All right. So let's go back to these rail cars. So these cars, they have a manifest. We figured out uh, they have uh, they have tracking. They have uh, information on the car itself. Uh, this is all computerized and instantly available. And uh, here's what it says. So let's go back to the same. The DOT specification, that's Department of Transportation. That's what Buttigieg, you know, who got his job because he married a dude. Uh, that's what he's supposed to run. So the DOT specification is always positioned on the right side of the tank towards the rear. Uh, this tells you the type of tank car it is and the pressure that it's under. This is, uh, says this is marked uh, by PRD pressure relief device, as you, you talked about earlier. 
Uh, and for example, if it's marked 75 PSI, uh, the valve will open up if pressure builds up above this and close when normal pressure has been attained. So there you go. All right. So then it goes to the next section, bare skinned or jacketed. Some tank cars have a protective layer known as a jacket. Others don't and are known as bare skinned. Well, I can tell you right now, milk doesn't need a jacket, you know, unless you need it to, to keep the milk cold. Okay. Milk's not hazardous material. It's not going to script the environment if it spills, <laughs> you know, um, Phosgene gas, you know, vinyl chloride is and should have a jacket. You know, so, so uh, grain cars probably don't need a jacket. But what's interesting, you know, you know cold, you know, so the cold, they always transport it open. Because if they closed up cold and the cold dust became explosive, they could blow up. So cold cars are always open. You know, grain dust is another one. You know how they, they have to do pressure and things with the grain dust? Grain too? dust and flour, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because grain dust explodes. That's why, that's why grain elevators explode. So, so grain itself is actually mm-hmm. a hazardous material if the, the, the grain dust reaches a critical level and blows up a car. And it always sounds fast. Well, you know, it has an outside spark. Yes, you absolutely like lightning. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a good article. I'll, I'll, I'll save it and post it. It says there, there are two main types of rail car uh, used for bulk carrying liquids. They are the 111 tank and the 117 tank car, and both types are categorized as general service trucks. I guess they call the tank car a truck. The 117 tank car is stronger and offers greater protection. So the first thing we need to know is how many of the cars on the Ohio, the, the, the northern, or the, the, the Suffolk, or the Nor- Norfolk Southern, there we go, Norfolk Southern train were 117 cars versus 111 cars. That would be interesting. Right? So the 117 tank car is stronger and offers greater protection. The DOT requires that all flammable liquids are transported by a 117 tank car. A 117 tank car is required to be jacketed. It is manufactured from thicker steel and is fitted with thermal protection. So it seems to me that a derailment would not necessarily breach a 117 tank car. No, in the story, it tells you in the story what they've done. They released the the material to a thrust. You know, all railroad tracks have a trough, what you call, or a ditch, running uh-huh. alongside of it. Uh-huh. A special case in cages like this. Yeah, but you don't want to put it in the groundwater because then it stays around forever. It's like dioxin. You know, that stuff lasts, what, a thousand years? <laughs> it's so, it's, 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 uh, it's not degradable. But I'm curious now. So now we, now we need, now we got, you just got all these new questions we can ask. So the, one set, the 111 car is a general service tank car, does not necessarily have to be jacketed, although some are. And this rail truck is not as robust as a 117, but is still often used in the transportation of some hazardous materials. Oops. Now, which is more expensive, the 117 or the 111 tank car, would you think? Well, you would think that the one is more heavily reinforced. Exactly. And has a technology so, that would be, yeah. Right. So if you're a corrupt corporation and you want to save money, would you possibly illegally substitute 111 cars instead of 117 cars uh, if you thought you could get away with it to save money? No, I don't think you would because you already got the cars made. Okay. You well, just, thinking, you just, and that would, that, yeah. would, that, would, yeah. that might open them up to criminal prosecution too. So maybe they didn't do that. Okay, that makes sense. Then it says DOT regulations require that all information is, is present on the shipping papers. We just talked about that, the manifest. However, if you can't see this information and there is an incident, you should call, oh, here we go, Chemtrek. So there's a number for everybody, Chemtrek, C-H-E-M-T-R-E-C, uh, 800-424-9300. The number is manned 24-7, 
and is for any type of chemical emergency, including spill, leak, fire, exposure, or accident. So my next question is, who called Chemtrack? You know how they released the 911 calls? Right? Normal 911. Right. So wouldn't Chemtrack be the equivalent of 911? Well, yeah. Any type of emergency should go to something that the public could readily understand and dial 911. Now, the operator herself uh, receiving the information should be trained on where to further take that message. But what I'm saying is they should release those calls, either the transcript or the recording, just like they would release a 911 call, 911 call. I want to know who called Chemtrack. Who first alerted this and what was the response from Chemtrack? Did they call the government? The government said, okay, burn the chemicals. We don't care. <laughs> you know, I, there's got to be some well, kind of record. Now, that's a possibility. I think uh-huh. that the people on site were ignorant to some effect. I'm, I can't say that they were, but uh-huh. I think that the decision was made with the people on site. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's say... Looked to me like it was bad ones. Well, let's say you're the mayor of uh, East Palestine. I like the way they pronounce it. It's kind of, it's probably, <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, it's supposed to Palestine, so so that doesn't open them up to other problems. So you're the mayor of East Palestine. You know you've got chemical trucks routinely going through your town. Wouldn't you have a well-trained fire department, an emergency procedure? Wouldn't you have stuff already on the books, already drilled, already practiced, already rehearsed in case of a chemical spill? Not only would you have well-trained personnel, mm-hmm. but you also would inform the citizens on how to react during an emergency of the same way that you go about informing them and training them how to react during a tornado. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now we have hurricane preparedness here, but I don't think, of course, you know, this is, this is my next uh, thing. We have train tracks in Milton. They're not that far from me. They're a couple of miles away. Um, But I need to find out now what they're doing. In fact, I'm going to make a videotape of trains going over the track. Let's see how strong those tracks are. I think everybody needs to do that. You need to, you need to take pictures well, of your trains and start posting, you know, how strong the tracks look. Are they flexing a lot? Are they popping up and down? That would be interesting to know. Well, it's when they become out of the line, when they have a lot of snaking in them, it's when they're dangerous. But I think you want a track to flex up and down because it acts as a cushion. Yeah, you've you said know, that before. Back to where it was. Yeah. Huh? You said that before, and I'm still wrestling with that, that idea, that I would think something as strong as a train, it should allow for it to be fairly rigid. I don't want it – I don't want the track flexing. It can't be then rigid. Again, okay. Because it would be too brittle? It would break? And you, and you, and you know why? Because you're running on earth. The okay. Ultimate. That's why they have that ballast. They have that uh, – I think they're two-inch rock, and I, and I think in some cases they're made out of like a pumice. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, the – the train track flexes up and down, and it's always got something on one end of it all the time. The train, the rail is longer in some cases than the cars are, so that means that if uh, the one end has weight on it, while the other end is picking up weight, so up and down is okay. Same way when you fly, you fly, you, you don't fly on a straight rigid line. You go up no. and down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and the wings, and the bigger airplanes, you can watch the wings flap. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. People are the airliners. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I mean, one of the worst was the old DC-8 stretch jet. If you ever flew an old DC-8, it was a very long airplane. It kind of fishtailed down the runway. They, they took a regular DC-8 and added more airplane to it. 
and I think they upgraded the engines, but whatever it was, it was too long. And those wings used to really flap up and down, and those engines rocked back and forth. You know, and new passengers, if you want to scare a new passenger, you go, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. They better not flex too much. You know what happens then? <laughs> but you know how they test planes when they, when they design them? I do, but you should they pick them up by the wings yep. to a certain height and let them go and let them fall back to the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, they actually break them. They take uh, Boeing does this. I don't know. I, I'm sure the other companies do, but Boeing will take uh, uh, when they built the 747. I watched the videos. They break it. They find out what the breaking point is. So in other words, they flex the wing enough to make it break. You know, and how much bend? Same thing with automobile. Uh-huh. You take an automobile, put it on a slid, and run it into a wall. Yeah. Right. Got to crash it. That's where we got the group crash test dummies from, <laughs> for those of you musically inclined. And those so, dummies need to have more more pay. <laughs> they do. What, now here's the, okay. So let's let's go with the previous theme. If you have an artificially intelligent dummy, should it pay a payroll tax? <laughs> No, I don't think so because you got a human being that's handling that dummy. It's only when you take human beings out of the process is that the <clears throat> equivalency of if a human being was there an attack should be required. So what if the crash test dummy, you know, when you turn it on, it gets up, walks to the car, straps itself in, drives the car into the wall? Well, it's still a dummy. <laughs> okay. So for those that have no idea what we're talking about, and we, you know where we're getting new listeners is really great, England. England is picking up on our show, or United Kingdom, I should say, because it could be, I don't want to offend the folks in, in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, part of the United Kingdom that occasionally isn't that united. Um, but uh, a lot of UK folks are starting to, that's our second biggest audience now. It's, it's passed by Canada. And so it's, it's UK, Canada, and Australia are three biggest uh, places outside the United States. Something's happening over there in the UK. So you guys, you know, we got the live line. We got the, you're not that far, you know, time-wise, you're only eight hours ahead of us. So that'll be four o'clock this afternoon as we're coming up to eight o'clock here central time. So if I'm at Greenwich, well, let me check my, let me check my world clock here. So let's go Greenwich meantime, London, London time now. So now the BBC Broadcasting presents world, London is now 158. I was right, 158. It's almost two o'clock. No, it's only six hours ahead. So it's coming at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So all you folks in, in Europe, you can call us. You know, we've got a Skype line. Hop on the Skype line or type in live chat. Let's, let's see what's going on. So what's happening in the U.K.? How come you're so uh, interested? Uh, I mean, I love it, you know, but I'm just curious why they're interested in, in freedom. I'm trying to get a London correspondent for the show. I'm trying to get one in Canada, and I'd love to get an Australian correspondent, too. So I'm working on all these things. But, you know, talking people into, uh, you know, coming on the radio when they're not professional reporters, that's a challenge. But I, I don't want professional reporters. I want regular people. This whole show is based on regular people. And I think it's a better way to do it. All right. So let me do the last section here. What to do in case of emergency. So this is from, just for those that don't know, the article is a website called Safe Rack, S-A-F-E-R-A-C-K. Uh, this is their news section. Uh, it was written um, 7-10-2021, so July 10th of 2021. What you need to know about the rail tank car. That's right. I just, I just did a search during the show. It says, what to do in case of an emergency. If you are on the scene of a rail tank car emergency, the first thing to remember is that all the information regarding the hazardous cargo and the tank car construction is provided for you. Isn't that interesting? Much of this information is provided on the tank car itself, and you can also contact other agencies such as Chemtrek for more assistance so you are not alone. Now, here's the next question. Did the EPA contact Chemtrek? Is there a phone trail? Did the people on scene from the EPA or whoever showed up, whoever decided to burn, 
you know, vinyl chloride and turn it into phosgene, did they call Chemtrack? Did they read the instructions in the rail car? Did they have the cargo manifest? Did they contact the state EPA of Ohio? Did they do any of the things that we're talking about in this half hour here? Rebecca's on the line too. Rebecca, I'll get you in just a second. I want to uh, kind of finish this, this, uh, this topic. I'll bring her and see if she wants to talk about it too. Um, did they do any of those things? And of course, we don't know, but that's, those are my questions. Pianchi, what do you think? Well, if I came on the scene, if nothing was leaking out, I surely uh-huh. wouldn't have caused it to leak out and set it on fire. Didn't say that I'm monitoring the air. Good gracious, you don't need no monitoring equipment to see what your eyes see. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm wondering is how many of these chemicals were actually contained in the cars that could have been pumped out and safely taken away instead of just burning it. It's like, we've got to do something right now. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Can't have this. You know, this well, is going to make pump in, you know, Brandon right? look bad. What's that? It was pumped in. And, you know, to really be truthful with you, it would, this would be it'd take a while to work its way up to Brandon. The most uh, people, person that would be in the, uh, it would be at fault, would be uh, Budovich. Budovich, yeah. Let me just read the last, last sentence here. It says, if there isn't an emergency, it is crucially important to take time to formulate a plan based on all the information provided rather than acting fast and potentially causing greater risk to responders and the environment. And that is exactly what they didn't do. They acted immediately. They didn't formulate a plan. And now we see the result of that. If they just read this website, I found it in what, 30 seconds? We've been over it in the last half hour? Yeah, even – Immediately after the derailment, and nothing uh-huh. happened. And if it was then, if a night went by, where the temperature cools off at night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there was any chemical reaction that was posing to cause an explosion at night, it would have cooled down and slowed the chemical reaction. I wake up the next morning, everything would be normal except the cars would have been laying on its side. Yeah. Let's switch gears. Let's talk to Rebecca Hardy of uh, Texans for a Vaccine Choice. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. <laughs> I love these little things I make. Rebecca, do you want to get in this conversation? Uh <laughs> <laughs> so I, got all, I, I got buttons. I got, I got my right hand on the mouse. I can push buttons. I got my left hand on my keyboard so I can type in uh, your name uh, uh, on the board here. And I'm talking at the same time. This is like the ultimate multitasking. It's kind of fun. Well done. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Um, you know, I, I, I've got to confess, and that is that, you know, we are in the middle of our legislative session here in Texas. And so I am uh-huh. head down, eyeballs deep in all things Texas legislation. So while I have been tangentially following the story in Ohio, I am not in the weeds of the details, except for just it looks like a horrendous environmental tragedy. I don't think it's a tragedy. I think it's a catastrophe caused by government, but that's just me. Um, okay, so I, I do this. Don't be surprised. that I frequently ask people questions that are not your, your field of expertise just because I'm curious, you know, because we live in a complex Fair world of many, of many integrating factors. So here's a question, too. If an incident happens, here's something that you might want to look into. This, is, this actually is related. If an incident happens, if you have an environmental uh, disaster where the government screws up again in Texas, are the effects of certain poisonous gases going to make the effects of the vaccine worse? Has that been looked oh, into? Oh, no, that's a, that's a good question. Well, and really what I would say is we have a very 
sick population, you know, and I, whatever is, that is causing that, it's not, uh, I mean, we are getting assaulted from all angles, right? Our food supply, mm-hmm. our water supply, potential, um, you know, environmental impacts from these uh, catastrophes, including, mm-hmm. and, you know, add to that the onslaught of vaccines that all of our children are getting. We often say what, uh, you know, if the gun's loaded in some people to have adverse reactions to to vaccines, what pulls the trigger? And mm-hmm. I think it's it's a lot of different factors for sure. It'd be a fascinating study to see if people are more affected who've been jabbed, you know, in Ohio mm-hmm. uh, by the chemicals than than not. I mean, I just you know, I mean, I, just, I literally just thought of that as we're talking here, but that's that's how things happen here. Let's refresh people's memory. Let's let's talk about Texans for Vaccine Choice, and then we can get stuck into the legislation and, and tell me anything that you want to. And so, uh, so let's start there and recap a little bit. Okay, so yes, uh, just a re- very brief recap. Uh, Texans for Vaccine Choice launched in 2015. Uh, we launched about six weeks into that 2015 legislative session because a state rep out of the Dallas, Texas area uh, filed a, man- a vaccine mandate bill. This bill would have removed the exemptions that we have enjoyed for decades here in Texas to send our kids to school uh, with uh, vaccine exemptions. And, uh, you know, three moms got together and we hardly even knew each other and said, we don't, we don't know what we, are, we need to do, but by golly, we're going to do something. And a movement of moms like that state house in Austin had never seen before descended on the Capitol. And not only did we defeat that one mandate bill, but we defeated about 16 others that were also filed that legislative session. These are bills that would have eroded Texans' rights to informed consent, medical privacy, and vaccine choice. And the rest is kind of history. I, I, I laugh because after that 2015 session, I think the three of us kind of, you know, dusted the dust, uh, brushed the dust off of ourselves and said, okay, good. We, we came, we saw, we conquered, we can go back to our lives. And I am very thankful for some state reps that pulled us aside, invited us to coffee and essentially said, ladies, y'all are onto something. We have never seen anything like your movement in the Texas Capitol before. You really need to consider forming an official organization because, hate to break it to you, this issue is not going away. And mm-hmm. I am so thankful that they had that foresight to uh, to tell us, to, you know, to advise us, really, to uh, continue on the mission because ever since then, every legislative session in Texas since then, there's at least a dozen, if not upwards of two dozen bills that are filed that are these, we call them, you know, bad bills or, you know, anti, uh, you know, anti-freedom bills, whatever you want to call them, bills that we have had to oppose and, uh, and kill every legislative cycle. And so I, I say that as far as thanking them for their foresight, because I cannot imagine our state house in Texas um, in the days of COVID without TFBC, that's our acronym, Texans for Vaccine Choice, TFBC. We are known as the backstop in the Texas Capitol um, for these bad bills. And um, yeah, so I personally got involved because um, I that bill that was filed in 2015 would have impacted my family very personally. I have two children that attend school using a vaccine exemption and uh, that stems from my early days right out of graduate school. Um, I'm a practice, practiced 
speech-language pathologist for the last two decades, and it was unavoidable, the number of stories that I heard from young mothers with their young children, all uh, so many with very vaguely similar stories of normal development in their children arrested by a shop visit, and that's what had landed them in my my office seeking services for their kids with uh, some regression. So um, anyway, that yeah. was a whole lot of a lot. <laughs> well, that's of good. No, that's great. I'm just, I'm just letting in. you go. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the opposition, the first thing that people that, that don't understand what we're talking about here is they say, well, vaccines don't cause autism. You're just a conspiracy theorist. So let's get that right out of the way. <laughs> we hear this nonsense all the time. It's like, why do you believe such stuff? Why, you know, why do people assume automatically that the government is telling the truth, that, that they have your best interests at heart? You know, listen to my first half hour when you get a chance, because I really had a, a pretty epic rant on, on how freedom cured COVID and the government brought it back. You know, it's, it's really fascinating mm. that uh, if freedom had been allowed to, to reign, if, if none of this problems, if, if the legislators did what they're supposed to do, which is follow the Constitution, because that's my next question to you, is why, why did they feel they, they, they could, you know, abrogate the Constitution. But the Constitution was followed. You know, everything that was mandated is a violation of your Fourth Amendment seizure of your person without due process. Everything. Mm-hmm. Mandates, masks, closures, all that kind of stuff. It's all illegal. It's all unconstitutional. With Pianchi and I have talked, Pianchi's on the line too. Pianchi and I have talked about this several times. I had Jeff Childers, another great interview yesterday. He's a lawyer. He got rid of the mask mandate in Gainesville in Florida. So that's a great uh, interview to listen to. You might get some information you can use. You know, I want to talk to him directly. You know, he loves this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but, uh, but the thing is that freedom works. Freedom. Now, I'm curious what you think of this. But my argument is that freedom, the Constitution, our rights Constitution's always in force. You can't, you can't just turn it off. There is no emergency great enough to cancel your Constitution. The Constitution's always in force. And if the Constitution had been followed, we would have had free access to information. We would have known what worked. Doctors would have been able to practice medicine. They would have been able to broadcast you know, their successes and their failures, what didn't work. You know, so implied in the First Amendment is not only the ability to speak, but the ability to hear the information or receive the information, because it takes two. Hang on, Peter. Yeah, let me, just, let me just outline this whole thing of why uh, freedom versus tyranny. So freedom works. Freedom would have had this gone in about six months. We would have had herd immunity. We would have known what to do. We would have hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. It would have been gone. No need for a vaccine. There's, there was never a need for a vaccine. Tyranny, on the other hand, is what the government wanted. They changed the laws. They made the illegal legal and the legal illegal. They made hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin illegal when, in fact, they had already been approved. They made things that would have otherwise been illegal because we already had cures and treatments legal. In other words, uh, an experimental jab that they had no idea what was going to happen, and now we know the consequences. Freedom works, tyranny kills in every level. Okay, I just want to make that argument there. Pianchi, go ahead. Well, also, you should never, ever let mandates circumvent parental responsibility or even self-responsibility because that there is a prelude to what's coming next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, government raises your kids. So that's a lot for you, Rebecca. Good morning. Yes. Well, and I, I will just, I, I agree. I will tell you, there is only one side of this conversation who is trying to compel people into compliance. And it's not my side. My side says, if you want to take every vaccine every day, as many times as you want, go for it. No one is stopping you. And your uh-huh. vaccine decisions do not impact me at all. I mean, uh-huh. what a tremendous hat trick Big Pharma has done on the world of mine, my vaccine doesn't work unless you take yours. I mean, in what world does that make sense? 
You know, yeah. it's like saying that, I'm using yeah. my umbrella today so you don't get wet. I wore uh-huh. and put on deodorant this morning so you don't stink. I, I mean, it, it, carry the analogy as far as you want, but it is the most amazing gaslighting that I've ever uh-huh. seen. And so, oh, yeah. you know, like I said, there's only one side that's trying to force people into compliance, and it's uh-huh. not ours. And to your point, it's because freedom works. And, uh, and I mean, we can unpack how captured our, our three-letter agencies are and the, the revolving door of conflicts of interest at, at mm-hmm. our agencies. But fundamentally, yes, freedom works. Yeah. I mean, all of those business closures, the church closures in Texas, I mean, it, it was really mind-boggling. It's, when did we figure, when did we just throw out the concept of if you're scared, you stay home? Like, the rest of the world's going to just live. Yeah, we got stuff to do. We got jobs to go to. We got careers. Yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. Another thing, too, you got to send a message to these judges that they can be removed because of bad behavior. And bad behavior is broad as wide as a river. And I've seen a lot of bad behavior coming from judges that circumvented a parent's parental rights over their children and people's choice over themselves. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much you, you want to get into the judge. I mean, it's a perfectly good question. I want to, but uh, Rebecca, do you do as Texans for? And I got uh, Dr. Deb Viglio on the line. I'll bring her on in just a second. Um, do you work with the judicial aspect of this, or is it mostly legislative? I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, we tackle this from every angle. Um, from I mean, when we do not shy away from a legal battle if it comes to that. Um, I will tell you, we have had uh, more successes in Texas. In the, I mean, it's a, it's a mixed bag, clearly. I mean, we've had um, our, our, our Department of Family and Protective Services that oversees CPS um, is wrought with, with corruption, and despite our best efforts to get it fixed, and there have been advances in remedying mm-hmm. CPS for sure, but it is still medical kidnapping and uh, improper removals are absolutely still happening in Texas. But I do want to just highlight, we've had some successes. Um, just last summer, a, a district judge in, in Wharton County in Texas made a very good ruling regarding uh, exemptions for higher education. Um, a couple of years ago in the middle, in the early, early months of the pandemic, we had a community college in Wharton County deny a, cha- a student's exemption for the meningitis vaccine because of the COVID pandemic. And so <laughs> after, you know, when that, wow. the, the father called me and we laughed about how unscientific that was, we uh, did a deeper dive into the statutes and figured out that, by golly, there is a statute that allowed the, this college to do so, even though it was horribly unscientific. And this dad, bless his heart, said they have messed with the wrong family, and Texans for Vaccine Choice was honored to partner with them with, you know, establishing a legal defense fund for them. And it took a couple of years, but finally justice was served, and that district judge actually ruled that the statute that allowed for that just insanely unscientific policy uh, was completely unconstitutional in every way possible. And so that was a great ruling that immediately turned around and impacted exemptions for higher education institutions across the state, which was a pretty significant win. That's wonderful. But the judiciary is such a, such a, a, a coin flip because you can just as easily get a judge arbitrarily that will say, this is an emergency. We have to protect people's lives. We're acting in the public interest. Absolutely. We have a compelling state interest. We can do whatever we want. You know, screw you and your rights. 
That's the flip side. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I will tell you, I mean, a lot Uh of the rulings that we're seeing across the nation are actually, I would say that as far as, you know, keeping a list, a lot more are falling on the side of medical liberty. I mean, just look at that, you know, doctor misinformation bill in California that they passed. A federal judge in California actually put Mm -hmm. a stay on that bill. I mean, there's been, and then all the nurses in Michigan who were were discharged, they they got their jobs back with back pay. I mean, we are seeing some of these cards fall, and I'm here for it. Yeah, the compliance is losing and the resistance is winning. All right, I'm going to, Pianki and I, we're going to kind of hold off for a bit. I'm going to let you talk to uh, Dr. Deb Biglione here for a little bit. Uh, Deborah, welcome back to Action Radio. Hey, You're on with Rebecca I Hardy. just wanted to get see what, what y'all were saying, but I do have a question. Because I got a son getting ready to go to college, and when my girls went, if they didn't take the meningitis vaccine, they weren't allowed to live in the dormitory. Is that, can they do that? Because I don't want my kid taking that. Or any vaccine what, at this point. What state? What state are you in? That Florida. In Florida, I can't imagine that there's not an exemption option in Florida for that meningitis shot. There's one here in Texas where uh, college students they make it sound like it is 100% uh, mandatory, and but yet there are exemptions here. You you get misinformation from the college regarding that, and that is what you know Texans for Vaccine Choice. It really does try to push out information about people's rights and what how they can access uh, exemptions, but I can't imagine there's not that option in Florida. Yeah, but I see them saying, well, you can come to college here, but you can't live in the dorm, you know, which is what they may do <laughs> if they legally I'm sorry. do that. Yeah, right. Again, I mean, they're going to say that, but uh, I would I would dive a little bit deeper. And find okay. the uh, Texans for Vaccine Choice equivalent in Florida because they will likely have, you know, somebody that has, knows, knows the statutes inside and out um, and can help guide you uh, in the exemption process. You know, my help was my guest yesterday, Jeff Childers, you know, does this kind of stuff. I mean, he'd be the perfect person, and I know you know him. Uh, that might help. Yeah, every every, uh, state has its own laws. That's what makes it really hard sometimes. You know, people ask me about exemptions in other states, and I have to say, you know, listen, I I can help connect you with another group, but I just know Texas statutes up, down, sideways. Well, I want to say something else to you that came um, across my email on the 15th, and I don't know if people know about it, but it came from uh, the Florida Department of Health, and it was Dr. Ladapo. But basically, it went through all the problems that they're seeing with the COVID shots, and he had references. And at the bottom, it said that if you were going to give these shots as a physician or nurse or whatever, you were obligated to give them informed consent, which included all of it. So anybody that's given the shot and not telling them that they could have sudden death, myocarditis, whatever, could be liable. That's in writing now. All I can say is God bless Florida. We have one state that's willing to tell the truth. Right. I mean, because up until now, there was no informed consent. You know, this was left blank. So that, to me, that's huge. And I bet that, you know, because I get a million emails, and I didn't see it until a couple days ago, how many doctors haven't seen that, you know, that are still pushing the shot? Not telling the truth. Interesting. 
Correct. Well, Rebecca? if you think about how there's essentially no informed consent for any of the vaccines, you know, the, that little vaccine information statement that you get prior to even just these routine vaccines is wholly lacking of the vast majority of information that you need to make an informed decision. Even the CDC admits that the, that VIS, that vaccine information statement, is not equivalent to informed consent. And it just, it, this is the bee in my bonnet because I get so frustrated when you think about the pages and pages of informed consent that you have to sign prior to any other procedure. I mean, just think about when you get, you know, ugly moles removed um, that are, you know, pre, potentially precancerous. You have to sign 15, 20 pages of informed consent on something that could, you know, this little 30-second, 30-minute, you know, procedure in office, but yet this irreversible medical procedure of vaccination that comes with its own risks, we just gloss over this, that they're always safe for all people all the time. And that's just a ridiculous position to hold. Right. Do you have more questions, Deborah? No, I just like listening. Okay, well, you should talk about your talk about your book for a minute too, because uh, maybe there's a whole audience in Texas that doesn't know about it yet. Okay, so I partnered with a retired attorney in Santa Rosa Beach and Dr. Jim Thorpe, and we came out with a book called COVID nineteen vaccines and beyond: What the medical industrial complex is not telling you, and it's an incredible reference, which you know outlines like, okay, the vaccine said this. This is the reference. Um, and it goes all the way through to the part four, the end of it is getting into the big picture. Because once you see this, like, why? You have to ask yourself, why? Why would people do this? Um, it, it's an awesome reference. You know, if I, I mean, you know, I'm part of the author, but it's, it's just great because there's no other place that this is all outlined in detail, in incredible detail. So you guys get it. And uh, I'm telling people, pay it forward. Buy one and then buy another one and give it to somebody and tell them to pay it forward. Yeah, I don't know if you two are aware of each other. I, I thought you, were, you might be connected just because we're all so like one big happy family of activists. But Rebecca, Deborah, <laughs> do you guys know each other or no? I'm just curious because uh-uh. I can get you all connected. No, but no. I, I want to know her better. That book sounds amazing. Okay. Yeah, I just had a feeling. Okay. So just to let you, Deborah's not really talking about all the wonderful things she does. She's one of our heroes too. Uh, Deborah got the Blue Wahoo Stadium, got all these amazing people that I got to meet, like Jeff Childers, uh, uh, who else was there, Brian Artis, and just various different people. Uh, we had Dr. McCullough by, by video, um, Judy Mikovits, all these folks. That, some of them Brian ended up on our world's greatest doctors panel. Yeah. So, so, so Deborah's a crusader and has all kinds of great early treatments. You two need to know each other. I'll get you connected off the air. You know, I'll, 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 I'll give you both an email uh, because I think you can help each other. Awesome. Terrific. That's what we do here. <laughs> so let's get <laughs> Let's, let's go back to the legislation for a little bit here because um, it, what I think is happening, there's a, what we call here at Action Radio do something syndrome. Uh, and I'm not the first to come up with this, where the legislators, they have to do something. You know, if, uh, if an assassin goes to a school and tragically murders people, they have to do something. Okay? Now, what they may do mm. is completely unconstitutional, has nothing to do with the Second Amendment, has nothing to do with their rights or anything else like that, but they have to do something. Okay? So what I'm wondering is how much do something do you have in the Texas legislature where there's a pandemic, millions of people are going to die. We have to do something, even if it means sacrificing our rights, that would have stopped this in a few months as opposed to perpetuating it to this day. Did you run into that where people, where the legislators were grateful 
that you took the burden off them by saying we have to follow the Constitution so they could kind of like march behind you like little sheeple. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> yes. So I will say the difference between the 2021 session and the 2023 session in Texas is significant. Hmm. And I am, I am, and it's, it's significantly different for the, for the better. I am pleased to report that, as, you know, we're about six weeks into the legislative session here, and I am pleased to report that the good, protective, you know, advancing your rights bills far outnumber the bad bills that have been filed so far this legislative session. And I think that's a testimony to a lot of things. It's a testimony to the momentum that the side of medical liberty has as far as you know, the jig is up, right? I mean, these shots don't work. They've caused devastation to so many. The mandates have devastated businesses and individuals. I mean, it's just, it, you know, like we've said, it's kind of the house of cards is falling. And um, so we are seeing just, it's, it's like a, this small little list of bad bills. Now, mind you, more bad bills are going to get fi- filed and we will oppose them and we will kill them like we have every legislative session. But we have so many amazing good bills filed. Uh, We've got some very strong champions that have decided to kind of take this issue by by the horns, as we say in Texas. And it's been really, I mean, it's an amazing, you know, quote, problem to have. We had our first citizen engagement day last week, which is a day that, you know, obviously any Texan can come to the Capitol anytime to, to advocate for their rights. But... Uh, on a citizen engagement day, Texans for Vaccine Choices prepared for and expecting a large group of activists. And we, um, we, our, our focus that day was to get the, the protective good bill list in front of every office and ask them to co-author these bills. And we kept on having to shrink the font on this, this one pager <laughs> we were, you know, compiling for. The, the 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 day for our for our engagement day and I was like this is brilliant I mean I'm not complaining but this is you know we we try very hard to keep things to one page because that's about all the attention span that those um, those offices have and uh, you know we have one uh, senator in our Texas Senate that has essentially taken every little nuanced issue that arose during. The COVID, you know, overreach response in Texas, and filed a bill to fix it so that it can never happen again. And I, I tell Senator Hall every every time I see him, I say I pray every night, Lord, bubble wrap Senator Hall because he is a treasure to Texas, and uh, that's just one spotlight of one of our champions. But it's really amazing to see. Um, the momentum we have, and I think it's also a testimony to the hard work that Texans for Vaccine Choice has, has put in over the, we just celebrated our eighth, quote, birthday. Um, and, you know, we are, we have the reputation in that building. We have made significant relationships with the legislators. They know that we show up well-spoken with science behind us. And uh, we're no longer even considered, you know, in the early years, we were kind of, we had some early adopters, but now, you know, we are slowly seeing uh, just that we aren't even considered fringe anymore. And I, when I do speaking engagements and I highlight the fact that we launched in 2015, I say, and this means that we were for vaccine choice before it was cool to be for vaccine choice. And it's just, a, it's, it's a, such a time to be alive in the medical liberty movement uh, in, in the post-COVID days. 
I love that your medical liberty movement. Um, let me ask one question, then we'll kind of go around the panel. We've got Piaki, we've got uh, uh, Deborah here. But uh, the Constitution of Texas, doesn't that or shouldn't that take care of most of the really bad bills? Aren't there provisions already in your Constitution that would preclude these things from passing? Uh, or do you have to wait till you get the court challenge? Or is it just, better to have, uh, is it just a better strategy that bills to counter the bad bills? With, uh, how, what's the situation there? Yeah, unfortunately, we have legislators that don't seem to really uh, factor in the Constitution when they file bills. And so most of those would have to be, if they happen to pass, would have to be a court challenge. But we, there is a lot of gates along the way before any bad bills get to the governor's desk that we will utilize to, to quash those along the way. But we would, like I said earlier, we would not shy away from a legal battle if it, if it came to that with a bad bill. Yeah, you got to have uh, good lawyers and, and good uh, lobbyists and good people. It sounds like this is all working out great. Pianchi, did you have a question or comment for, for Rebecca? No, what you're looking at is the ignorance in your legislatures. That's what that is. It's the ignorance in your legislatures and also reveals the flaw in your education system because the legislature came up through that system. It's one thing that you should use as a, uh, as a basis. Is this, if it's not constitutional, if it's not constitutional, it's going in the trash. And that there sends the message to make people more conscious of what it is that they're trying to slip through. You know, I, th- I think Pianchi's on to something here that's this genius. Do you have a constitution committee in the Texas state legislature? And if not, would you want to write a bill to make one? Yes. So we have um, a a system to, um, you know, it's a constitutional amendment, if you will. And so mm-hmm. those have to be filed in, bo- in, in the chambers, and then they have to have two-thirds uh, support in both chambers, and then it has to also get a, a, a majority in, in the general population vote. And so a, a constitutional amendments can be filed any time. Um, I don't think we necessarily have a committee that ensures that all bills are compliant with the Constitution, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not talking about amending the Constitution, but just the idea that whereas uh, finance bills have to go through ways and means, you know, legal bills have to go through judiciary. All bills should have to go through a Constitution committee uh, before they even come to the floor, before they even get out of the the, the first committee. That should be the first place they should go. Is this bill constitutional? Does any state have that? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Does well, see, this is Action that? Radio. Uh, we, we make things like this. I mean, I think I, I'm certain. Deborah, should we, should we do this in Florida here? What do you think? You want to you help me on a, on a constitutional committee bill? Oh, hold on, Pia. Deborah? It's fantastic. And that should be in the U.S. because all these sneaky snakes trying to sneak stuff through that's not constitutional. There should be a, you know, a screening committee. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, thank you. I love the idea. I, I, <laughs> I do love the idea. I, it's just, you know, what a, I think about this and just say, you know, what a shame that we even have to come up with ideas like this. I mean, shouldn't it just be a no-brainer that you shouldn't file bills that are, you know, not think. in alignment with? <laughs> but they don't know, right, I mean, they don't just, know the Constitution. Yeah. But this is, this is why Action Radio is such a fascinating place to be. Uh, and I gather you folks here, and, and you come here, and, you, and just and ideas happen. You know, one person says something, someone else says something else. This is how most of our ideas happen. It's really spontaneous. But when, you, when you're open, the possibilities that we can be legislators, that we can provide the bills to Congress and the, and the state legislatures and the local governments and the city councils and the school boards and everything else, all of a sudden this whole new world opens up. 
So now in the short space of time, we've come up with every state legislature needs to have a constitution committee, which is the first place the bill should go. I think that's, that's just amazing. <laughs> but that's, you know, and I'll start with, with Pianchi's comment. It's like, whoa, and here we go. Pianchi, you want to follow up on you that? You know, another thing. Uh-oh, here we go. What's your other idea? We got one good one. Every for, for state show, legislature, <laughs> every state legislature, anyone that's running for uh, office should have taken a course or should know the Constitution. And another point, judges' rulings are not laws. They're just a ruling based on an argument between two parties. It is not law. If it's unconstitutional, then you should say we're not going to follow it. So you got two points there. So the idea, actually, we had that bill from uh, Amber Kemper, who was our constitution reporter, so she got busy with college. She's 18. Came up with this idea that anybody running for office has to pass the same test that is given to folks like me who came here as an immigrant. You know, I came from, I was born in Canada. You know, my folks took me to Australia, and then we came to the United States. And so I had to pass when I became, I was like 12. And when I went for my citizenship at 21, I had to pass a constitution test. I had to know the Bill of Rights. I mean, really memorize them. You know, I had to know all kinds of things of U.S. history. I had to know the basics of the Constitution. And that's really what started me on, the, on this patriotic path was, was having to learn this stuff. Because before I didn't learn it in school, I learned it when I became a citizen. And so the idea that our elected officials should have to take the same test uh, as the folks that, uh, as immigrants to this country getting citizenship, I think is a great idea. Now, you can't mandate it because the Constitution already has eligibility requirements. But you can at the state level. You know, you can certainly, and we can certainly make it peer pressure. Say, hey, have you, you know, have you taken your, your, it's like disclosing your medical records. I mean, it's not a legal requirement. A lot of politicians do it because the pressure is there to do it. Rebecca? I mean, it, it seems like a, a very low bar to a, a reasonable, a reasonable request for sure. Okay. We have, a, all we're doing is generating homework for ourselves today. <laughs> Bianca, what was your second point? <laughs> And I'll get Deborah's reaction. Well, yes, it can be mandated. If you want me to vote for you, I want to see these qualifications, these certificates that you have acquired. But the other thing, too, is that, as I said, judges' rulings are not laws. Judges do not make laws. And if you see, until the people set the bar, until the people draw the line in the sand, they're going to constantly continue to challenge you. This thing about the pandemic, yeah, now you got legislatures coming around. Well, the pandemic has served its purpose and all the ill wills that it did. Three or four years out, it should have been stopped at the beginning. These judges that make these rules and say, parents, you got to let your child get back. No, you say, that's not constitution. You are acting misbehavior. And that's when you start removing these judges. Yeah, does Texas have a, a judicial or a judge recall or any kind of uh, thing like that? Congress does, but they don't use it. Um, um, see if, I'd have if we to have look into Florida. that. I, I, yeah. I am, I'm not sure about the, the recalls. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure on that. So it would be recall or impeachment. So, so the, the legislature would impeach the judge and remove them. The citizens would recall. In fact, we just have a, a new bill here to recall uh, county supervisors. Uh, Deborah, do, do you know about any of this? No, and from my perspective, everything took so long. You know, everything was immediately challenged, but it took so long. You know, like you said, the pandemic went on. It served its purpose. They delayed everything. Yeah. 
Well, what's what's going on in the medical field? What do you see coming down, you know, from this? Because these power hungry, you know, I, I you know, Dr. Fauci is, is known here as Dr. Fascist, the, the genocidal, psychopathic, <laughs> avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. And that takes a while to be able to just rip that right out. But that's how evil I think this man is. And so I think they see this not as a crisis, but an opportunity. You know, so the old Chinese character, exactly. depending on which direction it's facing. So what's coming down, you know, in fact, this is where you two would be great for each other. Because, Deborah, you, as, being in the medical field, being a doctor, dealing with this on the front lines, you can, you can see the trends. You can see the, you know, where are they going? What, what's their next recommendation? What do you think is happening? So that way Rebecca can be ready with legislation for Texas and we can be prepared here. So do you see anything coming? Well, oddly, yeah, well, mm-hmm. oddly, you know, they haven't stopped the vaccine push. They want to get it now into the child vaccination schedule and they want to get it into our infants they're not stopping despite all of the evidence into the contrary and you know so that's going on but we fully expect some other virus to be released you know another another pandemic i mean i don't think they're going to stop and and what we're dealing with now are all these people you know that are vaccine injured you know, and, and mm-hmm. they're dying and trying to figure out what exactly we can do for them. You know, that's kind of where we're all, you know, scrambling, trying to what figure out what works it? and what doesn't. Do you have any things that do oh, work or, or what's, what's the best treatment right now? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you you know. should use the slogan, my body, my choice. Don't they use that <laughs> with abortion? Uh-huh. Right. No? Yeah. See, turn it back on them. I want to I wanna chime in a little bit and back. say, and just say, it's not that they're trying to add the COVID jabs to the childhood schedule. They did it. Um, did. It is already officially on the childhood schedule as of, you know, the, the ACIP, the committee in charge of taking these votes, um, did it in de- December. And then the CDC officially added it to the childhood schedule uh, a, few, a week or two ago. And so it's not that they're trying. It is, it, they are there. Yeah, now, no. So what are we supposed to clear. do about that? Go ahead. Well, what can I, we do about what's it? Impo- yep, a couple things. One, I think it's important to realize that just because a shot has added to the CDC schedule does not immediately translate into a state mandate for that job. It is up to individual state okay. legislatures to adopt the list of shots for school in a particular state. And so that is why the, the fight, of the, the vaccine choice fight really in so many aspects is at the state level. Uh, we would be mm. absolutely on the front lines to ensure that the, the these COVID jabs are never uh, required for school. And I think what we are seeing here is that the uptake of these jabs in our youth is has been very, very low. And mm-hmm. uh, I just don't think there would be a tolerance for for it being added to the list of shops for school in Texas. And I can I don't know for sure, but my Understanding is that the uptake on these shots for kids has been very low across the nation. So they try this in other states. They're going to have a, a rising appearance that they have never seen before. Mm-hmm. Well, and the concern I have is look at how they've combined so many of the vaccines into mm-hmm. one injection. What if they try that? Because when parents ask to have them separated out, I want this one, I want that one, I don't want this one, they get a lot of grief. Well, we don't do it that way. You know, well, not only do they not do it that if, way, they're, but, not, yeah. they're not available commercially that way. Right. You cannot... Mm-hmm show up to an emergency room with a gaping wound and, you know, we can unpack the whole idea of getting a tetanus shot 
post-injury, but, you know, let's pretend that that's all, you know, very scientific. You can't just get a tetanus shot in America. It is always no. a combo shot. Same with, you know, pertussis. There's no just isolated mm-hmm. pertussis. There's no just measles shot. I mean, they, they are not com- uh, commercially available as individual shots at all in America. And that's a, and they're just working on combining more and more and more. Um, I've already seen that they're working you know, on a COVID and flu uh, on, double jab. I'm getting a little background noise backfire. here. Yeah, I'm getting a little background oh, noise from one of the lines. I'm in that okay. doctor's office, so. <laughs> okay, let's get to I've got from. it next right, to so. my, my ears. I was just having a chiropractic thing. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get back to this because this is this is critical. That uh, you know, I'm thinking as I think Rebecca already said this that all vaccines should be should be optional, should be voluntary. There shouldn't mm-hmm. be any mandates. You know, in, in other words, people should start the constitutional freedom position would be we all start from a position. You know, as Pianchi says, you know, my body, my choice. You know, I'm the parent or the parent's choice over the kids. <clears throat> that we all start with an exemption, and you know, if the, the government has to make the case for for. Uh, for, for people taking the vaccine. Instead of right now, they mandate it. We have to make the case for the exemption. That's backwards. Well, and let's just be clear. This should, this should be an opt-in program. Yeah. Having to constantly opt out of an optional medical procedure is tiring. You know, why do I need a magical paper from the state to opt my kids out of optional medical procedures? The whole exemption process is really... It's frustrating. I don't need an, a medical, a, a magical paper from the state to opt out of any other medical procedure. Why is there a carve out for for vaccines? So um, well, let's, good point. You know, let's ask that. Yeah. yeah, Deb, I just muted you for a second. But if you mute when you're not talking, we'll we'll sort of limit the doctor's uh, uh, stuff like that. But why? You know, here's a question too: Is the the idea that uh, when they group these together, uh, Deb, you probably know this. Do they do the clinical tests involve the group vaccine? Or, or, or is it the individual ones that they decide to group later? Should, and should not the group, whatever they're grouping together, should not the cl- clinical trial, trial be on the group, not just the individual? That's a good point, but I don't believe they do that. And I think they do very little after seeing what went on with COVID in the way of, of real clinical trials that aren't biased and that are set up properly. But it's been a long I can, time. I can try and, Rebecca can probably talk more about that. Rebecca? Yeah, and I would say, you know, every vaccine on the, the, the schedule does have to have some testing as they are administered, you know, in the combination. So, yes, is there some oh, sure. testing for every single vaccine? Yes, because that's how they get clinical approval or FDA approval for those jabs. The issue that is the problem, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pitfalls with that statement that I just made. One is that uh, the vaccines as a whole are classified as biologics. And that means that there is the, the testing requirement for these products is extremely low. Another, another example of a biologic would be a blood product. These are biologics do not require the, the placebo-based randomized controlled trials like every other drug that's on the market. And I think that is the issue. And the, the other kind of, you know, potentially bigger issue is that while those individual shops do have some clinical data behind them, you know, mind you, it's shoddy testing because of the categorization of these products as biologics, but they aren't tested as they are given in real life. For instance, at the six-month shop visit, children are given, um, I think it's uh, 
they are if they are if their parents are following the CDC schedule, the six month shot visit, they are being injected with thirty one strains of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different uh, injections that contain 31 strains of either bacterial, bacteria, viruses, or mRNA. And that, that, that grouping of shots is never tested as administered in real life across pediatricians' offices in the, in the nation. And so they're just tested individually, assumed safe with no placebo-based testing and slapped on the schedule. And that is what we are saying is, is uh, good for our children. And I say, no, this, our children, our most precious resources in this nation deserve better. Yeah, this that's called a battery. Yeah, Garpiaki, and then Deb, I just moved your line a couple of times. But yeah, that's called not a battery of tests, which, which right, I've had pediatricians tell me that it's, it's dangerous. But here's another thing, too. You need to have a bill that turns off the qualified immunity of not only judges, but also anyone else that's in line that's making these demands, mandates on you that prove to be dangerous and fatal. Because if somebody is hurt, well, you can't go back and civilly sue them because they are hiding behind qualified immunity. That needs to have a process where you can nullify it. And when they make a mistake that's bad, then they also have in the back of their head that they stand a chance of losing everything they have from a lawsuit. That's a good point, yeah, Rebecca. Let's, let's go back to that. Let's go back to that 1986 law that just uh, indemnified, removed all liability for vaccine makers and vaccine administrators. That law that passed in 86, the reason why they passed that was in the 70s and 80s, vaccine makers were losing money on their vaccines because parents were suing them for the injuries. And so they were losing money hand over fist, and they went to Congress and said, we're going to have to stop making vaccines unless y'all do something the pharmaceutical companies, the, the vaccine makers' solution was to grant them immunity from their products, from all liability for their products. And, and I always, I wish I had a time machine and so I could go back and see you know, what was the discussion because why Congress did not come back no, you can. and say with the You can do that. It was bought off. Uh, no, 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 you can do it with so the Let me see one other thing, um, too. Let me well, say one other thing, too. The reason, I don't get too many new issues. The reason let's they just, give you... Here, real quick. The reason right. they give you a battery, they, they inject a battery of tests because you got a battery of vaccines, whereas if they was to do it the right way and give you one vaccine, they don't make as much money. So if they give you 30 different variants, they are being paid for 30 different variants rather than one. That's slick. Well, that's marketing, but the whole thing is a marketing campaign. Let me, let me just, uh, Deb, your, your line is live again. Like I said, I just muted you a couple of times when the, the kids were playing the xylophone there. <laughs> so you're back. Um, so, so feel free. But like I say, for everybody that calls in, if you just mute yourself when you're not talking, if you have background noise, we can take it when you are talking. Not a problem. Rebecca, we haven't got to your bills yet. So I wanted to, we haven't, it's a great discussion, but I want to make sure that we cover the, the 16 bills that you have in the Texas legislature. What are the ones that you're working on? What's, what's positive? What's happening? Uh, and then we, you also well, have a summit far, coming up, Abilene Medical Summit. So you got some, we got stuff to cover. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it's far more than 16, amazingly. So um, okay. and we still are, we, we still have some bill drafts that we are, um, you know, 
our, my, my legislative director is at the Capitol right now um, get, still getting bill authors for our protective legislation, which is exciting. Mm. So we have okay. um, the, the chairwoman of uh, our Health and Human Services Committee. It is really the most powerful committee in our Texas Senate. And Chairwoman Colcourse came out just last Friday with uh, three amazingly protective bills that would really fix quite a few of the statutes that uh, were problematic during during COVID that kind of allowed some of these uh, mandates and such to, to run amok. And so mm-hmm. I'm, we are extremely thankful for Chairwoman Colcourse. She, I think the last time I was on, it was just a few days before our big freedom fight and rally that was taking place at the Cap- Texas Capitol. And she, along with about a dozen other uh, elected officials, showed up and took the mic and promised to do all they could to right the ship. Um, that, and so, and she is making good on her word. She has filed three amazing pieces of legislation. Like I mentioned earlier, Senator Bob Hall has, you know, over a dozen very, very good bills ranging from, you know, streamlining the exemption process in Texas to uh, making sure that the Texas Medical Board ends all of their investigations on the doctors that are being charged with, you know, these ridiculous, you know, violations of pandemic rules. Um, he's got a uh, some some bills that w- would ensure that vaccination status is is uh, is preserved as as uh, you know I don't know what you want to call it public health information that is protected by by a lot of privacy rules. We've just got a really good uh, full a a very robust approach to this in the Texas Senate. The House is coming along for sure. Um, it's a little bit slower, but uh, uh, Representative Brian Harrison is uh, really uh, pushing hard on his COVID Vaccine Freedom Act, uh, along with some other really, really great bills. Uh, one, the, he, he did a little dive into the statutes and realized that some elected, unelected bureaucrats could arbitrarily just start adding shots to the list required for school. He has a great bill that would do away with that statute that says, any vaccine that's added to the, you know, Texas schedule would have to be added by statute, and that is that is the better way to do it for sure. Um, we are one of our uh, big pieces of legislation that is hopefully going to be filed this week is to ensure that vaccine status is uh, irrelevant when it comes to uh, receiving medical treatment. We have people in Texas still being denied organ transplants because they are did not take the covid jabs and this is insanely unscientific um one of uh the families we work closely with has a child with a a cochlear implant and there is a there there is a rule basically that says any child that's implanted must have meningitis jabs i mean these are they are literally uh holding life-saving or, you know, life-enhancing procedures hostage from people um, until they comply. Wow. You know, this 
Yeah, no, the, the whole idea of exemptions, too, is that uh, the denying, it's like uh, the, the religious exemption in the military, and Deborah can speak on this, went from a religious uh, objection to a sincere or religious belief to a sincere religious belief. So in other words, you had to prove not only that you had a religious belief, but you're actually sincere about it. Well, that's ridiculous. That defies the, the whole idea of an exemption. So they take the exemptions and they, they make it so that you can't get an exemption. So I was thinking that it would be nice to have a pro uh, active uh, exemption and or, or have something in the language that the medical folks have to disclose to parents that uh, you can get an exemption and you can apply for it and that should be part of their informed consent is that in there already or no correct well it's not we have we are we have filed a bill in the past and we are working to file it again this session that it, we call it our um, accuracy in advertising bill. Essentially, mm. if you are if you are a school district or a pharmacy that you know we can't walk into a CVS or you know a Walgreens here or you know HEB or anything without being inundated with these signage that you know no shots no school get your child caught up today and you know the school information from school districts. Oh my goodness, you should see the information we have to, or the misinformation we have to uh, tackle every fall during the back mm-hmm. to school movement. You know, we, we have every fall, we launch this parents call the shots program uh, that really, we work to really push out the information on the exemption process and your rights and everything. And then with that campaign, we also have a wall of shame uh, that we do where <laughs> we, we uh, you know, screenshot school districts in there. I mean, you should see this coercive language that they use. You know, your seventh grader will not be able to get his schedule unless they've shown updated vaccines. And I mean, it is, it's fun uh, to, to call these yahoos out for uh, grossly misrepresenting exemption statutes. So we are, our accuracy and advertising bill would hopefully uh, make it where they cannot do that because the statute currently is very, very narrow and it's easily to skirt around it. It essentially says if a school district has a website, the website must mention exemptions. Well, that means any other communication regarding vaccines, emails, notes home, bulletin board mm-hmm. postings, you know, whatever, what, you know, the kiosks outside, the signs, on, you know, outside, they can, they can, it's the wild west when it comes to, to vaccine uh, requirements in Texas. So we're working to close that and uh, really say, hey, just be honest, you know, if these shots are so great, let, pe- let parents decide, but also make sure they know their rights. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to do. And you're such a model for the rest of the country. I'm looking to this. You know, one of the things you might want to look into is Arizona's bill um, on school choice, where the, they have full vouchers and that follows the kids. And the, the best thing that we can do is get kids out of government schools, because if you're out of the government school, you're out of the government mandate for, for a vaccine. You know, so that's a that's a huge thing. So I don't know if you work with that at all. Do you work with the homeschool groups or anything like that? We do. One of our uh, one of our organizational allies, yes, is uh, a few of the big homeschool organizations in uh, in the state. And I will tell you, Governor Abbott has made school choice one of his priorities, and so that those bills are um, will have the momentum uh, because of that designation of a priority by the governor. Um, okay. So we'll see how, you know, it's, it's kind of a hot button issue here in Texas. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can find a solution that will really give true uh, educational freedom without, um, 
you know, causing undue uh, burdens that I think there's some concerns from the homeschool community about how those bills would actually impact them. And I, I think there is a beautiful solution there um, if we can all get on the same page there for sure. Yeah, well, I would make, uh, you know, full voucher program, all educational expenses, tax credit or tax deductible. You know, I mean, there's, there's ways to do it so that people don't have to pay for their education twice. Um, I got a, a Deborah question before, before we go here. Uh, immunity. The, the one thing that struck me as highly unusual, Rebecca, I'm curious here for you as well on this, is that they don't test for immunity before you get a COVID jab. Immunity isn't even questioned. And most of us had it. Uh, Deborah, you can test this. Uh, I got it, you know, uh, late December 2019, early January 2020. You know, I got the shows to prove it. I sounded like crap on the air. <laughs> you know, and I was coughing like crazy. Uh, the COVID, right? So we all had immunity. This is why I never worried about getting a jab. So why don't they test for immunity? Why isn't that a requirement before getting a jab? Because why would you, wouldn't that be what they said in the medical profession, contraindicated, you know, it, to give somebody something that they're already immune to? Deborah? Yeah, well, you know that they they had a, a sinister objective here because we were crying out for that all along, you know, saying, okay. hey, you're ignoring national immunity. But now, you know, they are, they do have, can you hear me okay? Yep. You sound they different, but that's okay. I can still hear you. Immunity. Yeah, they, they're acknowledging natural immunity now, but the problem is, the only way we have right now to test for it is an antibody response, and that is fading. And there is a T-cell detect where you can look and see, but that costs money, and, and it's not being widely used, you know, because your antibodies do fade. Well, yeah, because you know, like, the immune system doesn't, I, doesn't have them present until they're needed. So it isn't the immune system that once, right. you, once an immune system is cured a disease, it said it goes dormant for a while, but then when it sees that same virus again, it goes, oh, I know what this is, and kicks back into high right. gear. Yep, exactly. Right, and okay. that's what that T detect cell thing is. But it's you know it's a private company, and it's uh, about two hundred and fifty dollars or something to have the test. You know, so um, it's not being widely used. Yeah. Okay, we got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, let's let's go to Rebecca. Anything that we should do? Let's get some contact information. How folks can uh, to look up things, bills, you, you know, Texans for Vaccine Choice. Anything you want to talk about uh, for the next little bit here? Yep. Well, you know, TexansForVaccineChoice.com really is a treasure trove of information. We've got an events tab at the top where it shows where we'll be all over the state in the coming months, including in uh, early April. I will be. I have the distinct honor of a doing a wellness summit with Dr. Peter McCullough in Abilene, of all places. I'm so excited about going to Abilene. Mm. They are working very hard to put on an incredible event there. And so um, I, we will be there, and then we really are all across the state. Uh, we, uh, we, we just got two speaking, speaker requests just last night um, that we, we, we are processing. And so that's a great place. Our resources tab at the top has a lot of links. I mean, we do a very good job of making we're, – we're not in the business of hiding information here. So we've got a, some great resources for, you know, Religious Exemptions 101. We have a hospital guide. Like, if you're being admitted to the, the hospital, here's, here's some helpful things for you to know. Um, we've got a, a whole page dedicated to exemption rights in Texas, um, et cetera, et cetera. We've got a lot going on um, on our website. And so that is – you know, we are still, unfortunately – quite censored on social media, but on our website, it does link to our social media sites as well. Um, but the, our website really is where it's at. And we would love for people to click that sign up button 
because uh, that is also a great way to, uh, I mean, we, we send out an email once a week with all of the updates. And uh, yeah, we, we are, I just want to point out that in 2020, before the pandemic, our supporter list, I, I don't know, it was maybe 12 to 15,000 people. And that was working for five years in Texas to build our subscriber list up to that many. Our subscriber list is, you know, upwards of 100,000 now. Thank you to the uh, mass awakening that the COVID response uh, triggered in our state. And it's, again, a great problem to have because it's like, okay, we're going to Austin for the legislative session, but I'm, I'm coming back with an army. And it feels really good to have so many people. I mean, the momentum is on our side. And I, uh, you know, just even looking at the bad bills that have been filed, they're bad and we will crush them, but we don't. There's not even the, the mandate bill or any sort of, you know, horrible COVID. Um, I mean, there's a couple of bad bills, but they're, um, they just know that they're not going to be able to get their nonsense passed, and I'm here for it. Like, we will, we will stop it, and we'll get some good stuff across the finish line. So I just invite any Texan that's listening to get involved uh, with Texans for Vaccine Choice and any non-Texan listening, get engaged with your uh, vaccine choice organization in your state. Lock arms with these people because they are fighting the good fight. I mean, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to take on vaccine choice politics. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> but uh, it is a, a worthy mission. It's a worthy endeavor. And these, uh, you know, I pray for the day where if this, this issue is put to bed, yep. that we are no longer living in a world where vaccine status is even remotely relevant to our daily lives. Wow. I just uh, text um, Dr. If you get something from Dr. Deborah Viglione, that's who we were talking to uh, today. So, uh, yeah, Pianchi. And then I've got uh, CJ's on the line, too. So we have our wellness person. You know, I was going to say uh, this. Uh, yeah, you want to go after your okay. individual representatives. If every member of your organization would probably live in different uh, districts, you go after, you bring your individual representatives to the carpet and and give them mandates. And then, for, for instance, if one of them have a store, a furniture store, and they're acting like you don't want them to act, go to their store and pick at their store and hurt them in their pockets. Those type of tactics have to be used because they're hurting you not only in your pockets, but they're potentially hurting the lives of your children. I'm going to disagree with you on that one. I mean, I'll get Rebecca's. The, Rebecca, do you have a couple more minutes or do you have to go? Because I want to see a CGA We did it in Louisiana. Okay. I'm I maybe have about five minutes, but I, I've, I've actually got a, a, a meeting I've got to get to on the other side of town. So I can maybe, okay. I maybe have about five more minutes. But I, I, I tend to um, disagree as well. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of protesting. I mean, I, I'm a, I understand that there is a time and place for a protest. I mean, if they, those yahoos at the Texas Capitol building start is a, you know, mandate bill makes its way. What, are you laughing at my yahoo? Yep. Oh, the, a, you're funny. There are some, I, I know exactly what you mean. Some great champions, great champions in that, in that Texas Capitol building. But they, my golly, there are a lot of yahoos. And so, um, so if they are forcing a, a mandate bill and they're voting on it on the House floor, by golly, I will be the first one in line protesting th those votes. But I am a, uh, I'm a bigger believer in getting things done with that honey over vinegar moves the needle uh, a, lot, a lot better in our Texas capital. And, uh, and I, mean, I can't imagine 
uh, I mean, I'm not motivated by being yelled at. And so I, I, we, we uh, really try to approach the issue from the angle of we're, we're just calm, reasonable. We're the calm, yeah. reasonable voice of vaccine choice. And if you'll just stop Ooh, and listen to rhymes. us, we can, we can reach them. That's I, I, a bumper sticker. We've got, we've got rhymes here at TFBC. <laughs> say that again. I want to hear that one more time. Then I'll bring CJ in. The calm, reasonable voice of vaccine choice. Oh, that's wonderful. I got to put that on a sticker too. That, that's great. Um, an old lobbyist, I, when I interned in, in, um, in Washington, I was with a consumer group. This is back in my more liberal days. An old corporate lobbyist, we, we got to chatting. And he said uh, the three things about lobbying is don't beg, don't threaten, and don't assume you're right 100% of the time. And I've always remembered that. And so that's kind of like my rule. Mm-hmm. You know, don't beg, don't threaten, and, and don't assume you're right. Because, you know, a lot of times these people have something to teach too because they all have that different, you know, everybody has a little different level of expertise. Um, let me bring on, on CJ, who's our wellness person, has uh, videos, does all kinds of really cool stuff. CJ, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing you into this. You may not have even known you know, or known about Rebecca, Rebecca Hardy from Texans for Vaccine Choice. But uh, just based on what you've heard, do you have any questions for her? They get like one. I told I kind of came on at the tail tail end, you know, of the okay. of the fact I only heard about the last literally 10, 10, 10 seconds because I wanted to make sure I muted myself so you weren't hearing any of my my background noise here. So, Everybody's got it. Um, yeah, Fifteen dogs, six cats, yeah. couple birds. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. But um, right. I heard a little bit of it, and I think what you're doing, you know, is is great, and I think there needs to be things like that in in every, every state. Well, we have Citizens for Medical Freedom. I think a lot of places are, are coming up with different names for the same idea. Uh, Rebecca, thank you. I don't want to keep you. I know you got to go, but uh, let's get you back whenever yep, you can. Thank you so much. Sounds good. All right. Take care. That's Bye. Rebecca Hardy from Texans for Vaccine Choice, and you can reach her at texansforvaccinechoice.com. So we've got a few extra minutes, which is kind of cool. Um, so let's go right to CJ, since you're here now. And Pianki's still on the line, too. Um, th- so this has been a fascinating couple of days. Yesterday, I had Jeff Childers, who's an attorney, who is working with medical freedom, a bunch of different issues. He got rid of the, uh, the mask mandate in Gainesville, Florida. And then it went up to the district uh, court. And I'm not sure the result of that. I think it must have been uh, quashed there, too. But uh, he was yesterday. We have Rebecca Hardy, um, who's been on once before. I'd love to have her for a regular you know, comment, but she's busy. So we'll get her whenever she has a chance. And tomorrow, we've got Dr. Robert Malone. And so that's going to be fascinating talking right. to him, the, the, the creator, inventor of the messenger RNA uh, vaccine. And I want to know from him, you know, what he, what he was doing when he created it uh, and where it ended up. Did it end up as he intended it to? That's, that's going to be my big question. So that's where we are. So you're in the middle of a huge week here, and, and glad to have you on with your report. CJ's Wellness How are Watch. you today? I'm having a great time. I'm excited. Yeah, I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, what I've kind of been I'm not focused on this week, but uh-huh. I just find it interesting how there's been so many more events that have happened. I mean, today's what, only Thursday? And uh-huh. we've had so many other trail derailments, derailments, so many other explosions, so many other things. And you can't help but think that there are no coincidences here, you know? And for me, it just, escalate the importance of, like we said, you know, taking charge, even like your, your, your guest prior, prior to me or mm-hmm. earlier, you know, going out and doing, doing the things to, it, you know, it's more about educating people. Um, and we're seeing more and more happening. So hopefully people's eyes are waking up to the fact that 
if if you're not awake and saying these things and you're not prepared, you know, you got some scruples missing. You know, seriously. Well, uh, and, and, and the biggest problem is, and people will tell you this. It's so busy. obvious. Yeah, it is so obvious. And, and people said they're busy. They got kids. They got work. You know, where's the time? I don't have time to research all this kind of stuff. Just do one at a time. Just start and just to start replacing things. Start replacing your wheat. You know, with meat. Right. <laughs> you know, we, I, I like that quote. I just made that one up. You know, so start replacing things, you know, start the filters, you know, get your water filter, get your shower filter. I have to get the shower filter, you know, just start doing little things like that. Cut back on, on these tabs, you know, and, and the big question I had before is they never, they never ask you to, they never test you for immunity. You know, it seems to me right. malpractice to give somebody uh, a jab or something they're already immune to, unless you're just trying to sell the product, right. you know, right. and so little personal things. Right. But the question we had, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but uh, as far as Ohio goes with the, with the poison gas and the chemicals, you know, is the effect of the jab exacerbating it? In other words, if people already have a weakened immune system because of this chemical horrible thing that's being injected, does that make them more susceptible right. to other problems? I don't know. Do you have any well, thoughts on that? And, 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 and again, how would you measure that? You know, I, I don't, I, is it possible? Yes. Because I don't know. Anytime you have, you have anytime you have an external factor that is mm-hmm. playing into an already a weak immune system. I mean, even if we dumb it down to say somebody, and I hate to really use this example, but somebody who even prior to this time in, in the world, you know, has a weak immune system or is a germaphobe, right? Washes their hands all the time so that people get mm-hmm. sick when they're germaphobes because they've got no immunity. So for them <laughs> to go in and touch everything, right? So for them to be going in and touching everything, if you have a weak immune system, you're, you're absolutely more prone and susceptible to external factors. You know, to what degree, to what mm-hmm. substances, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, you live in this world, and that's why I said you can, you can dumb it down to anybody who has a major existing already health challenge or an autoimmune challenge and, you know, take out the vaccines. Let's just remove that, you know, prior mm-hmm. to that. That's mm-hmm. a general statement. If somebody has a health challenge that's going on and then they're exposed to more things, external factors that are really out of our control, that is absolutely going to be something that's going to affect them. But I have, we have no way of knowing to what extent. Hmm. Yeah, and that's the problem. Um, that's that's going to be very interesting to find out. I wonder if people should do like thinking of this uh, as you're talking a comorbidity check. So in other words, you know, people should do like a constant health assessment. You know, if you have diabetes, do you have high blood pressure? Mm-hmm. If you have high blood pressure, right. you know, are you eating right? If you're if you're eating right, are you exercising enough? You know, are you doing any? You know, it's like an overall body assessment. That's probably what you do, right? I'm sure you're involved right. with that. It is. Okay. It is. It is, and that's huh? like what I said right now. And just again, in general, most people don't know what their deficiencies are, what they're susceptible to. And, okay. and you have to do testing, you know, to, in order to know those things. And once you know those things, then you can work with it. You know, it's like trying to figure out what's wrong with your car without doing a diagnostic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you want to walk through that process? Do you have any, any interesting case studies? You know, no names, of course. We, we do protect privacy here. But, uh, and that's not for you. But it's for anybody who might be listening who might want to call and tell their story. You know, so, uh, so feel free to, uh, to do that. But, um, I don't know. Where, what, you got, what you got for us this morning as far as uh, anything, like cases or, or you know, new knowledge or things like that? I'm going to turn it back over to you now. I've, I've talked enough, as they okay. say. Yeah. Uh, 
What you got? Well, I, I, I <laughs> well, as far as testing and, and, and stuff goes, you know, I've seen a lot of people um, right now who are doing testing that don't even know they have a lot of oxidative stress because of external factors and or because of choices that they have made. So oxidative stress is really a huge, huge thing right now. And depending on what side of the world and country you're in, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as you can get outside, even though we know there are external things, like if you've just had an explosion right in your area and the air quality is poor, obviously we had that discussion. We know what not to do and whatever. But like here, we've been very fortunate to not, you know, have an incident other than the normal pollution, right, that we have in, in the world and in the air. But it's been sunny degrees and 70 here and clear skies. And so to get out and get vitamin D and to go for that walk and to do the thing, um, in addition to, and I don't want to get into details, you know, really over the phone because it's very individualized, but to do the things that are going to help you specifically with oxidative stress, because oxidative stress can bring on a whole lot of other things. And some people are more prone to um, more oxidative stress than others. You know what I mean? It depends well, on the you level know I'm gonna ask you have you. <laughs> you know I'm going to ask you what oxidative stress is, because uh, I have no clue. <laughs> So tell me what that is. <laughs> we well, said it five times. We know, what, we, know what, we know what stress <laughs> is, right? We, right. <laughs> we, know, we know what uh, stress, stress does to, to the body, correct? Mm-hmm. So right. when, when you look at oxidative stress, you're looking at the process that takes place with external factors coming in. It's an imbalance that is going on in, in your body. If you throw all the factors together, I mean, everything affects your, your it goes into your cells, affects your skin, your, your kidneys, your, your liver, your everything. So it's a combination of regular daily stress, but all of the external effects, the free radicals oh. and the antioxidants that attack the body that lead to cell and tissue damage. So um, oxidative stress, it occurs naturally, but, and it plays a role in the aging process, but a lot of people have it to an nth degree, if that makes sense. So well, that's yeah. why you have to know, you know, and it can cause, it can be linked to cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. It can be linked to all different kinds of things in your body. And that's why people need to go through um, one or two of the tests that can really pinpoint it. Because not everybody has it to a level of where it's going to cause problems. Right, that that's 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 my point. We all we are exposed to oxidative stress, but unless you test your levels, you 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 don't have enough information to do anything about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> it's like everybody needs an oil change in their car. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. three thousand miles. <laughs> whether you need it or not. I just had an oil change, so you know I, I'm right up on that. But sometimes people take care of their cars better than themselves. We don't have those same benchmarks. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So let's talk about oxidative. I'm assuming that means oxygen. That's somehow related to this process? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. This, this mm-hmm. is back to basics here. Yeah. This, is, this is health 101 for us, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, uh, citizen legislators <laughs> who don't do this kind of stuff all the time. So oxygen. We breathe it. Uh, it's involved in our yeah. metabolic processes. We use oxygen like an internal combustion engine uses oxygen. It burns calories or burns petroleum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So tell me. Yeah. Why well, do, so, what does oxygen yeah, do? So, give, me the, give me the pathway. Yeah. Well, we know what oxygen does, right? When it's good, it, it, it actually is you have to have oxygen in your body. 
But when mm-hmm. the oxidative stress from the external factors are at such a heightened, heightened level, um, it contributes a lot of times to a lot of chronic conditions. And so that's what, that's what we, that's what we don't, don't want. So you have to test. It's the free radicals that come into your cells. Because we mm-hmm. breathe in oxygen, we breathe in those factors, you know, that are, that are in, the, in the air. So a lot of the contributing factors are, you know, your diet, your lifestyle, certain conditions, environmental factors, the pollution, the radiation, because all of these things create excess free radical productions in the body. Mm-hmm. So that's why what's, you have what's to a free radical? free radicals. What, what is a free you radical? Know? Free radicals are, I don't want to get too sciencey on you, but it, oh, I don't mind. A free radical, I love it think, think of like a molecule, right? Right. right? Uh-huh. It, it comes in to your body and it causes more inflammation in your body. When you, and you can only control, right? You can only control your body and kind of sort of what you're exposed to and what you feed into it. You can't control these explosions, the train derailments, what they're spraying in the other. There's so many factors that are out of our control. So free right. radicals um, are molecules with one or more unpaired electrons. And like I said, there's hy- nitric oxide, there's superoxide, hydraulic oxide. You've got all the oxides in there. So okay, that makes sense. And they work. I understand they that. Work, they, they work. Well, everybody knows what mitochondria are. You know, so they generate energy. Mm-hmm. So they are going to either work for you or they're going to work against you. Ooh, okay. How do they work so, against you? With, with the free radicals in the air, if you're not able to address those, you know. So, so the, free radicals. So we're talking about uh, unpaired electrons. So, so like nitrous oxide, the normal yeah. state of, of that would be nitrous dioxide would be the, the, the whole molecule. Okay, so we can do a little chemistry yeah. here. I don't mind. I, I love delving into this. Yeah. We got a smart audience. So my, right? so you know. the mitochondria in your body, mm-hmm. right. they combine oxygen and glucose, right, and produce carbon dioxide, oh, water, and ATP. And free radicals arise as the byproduct of a metabolic process. So when you have external substances such as cigarette smoke, pesticides, all the chemicals in the air, they can cause the formation of free radicals in the body. So, okay, wait a minute. This is this is important. So let's uh, backtrack just a little bit here because we're going to get to antioxidants and the things like that in just a minute. But I think this is going to make a whole lot of sense. I'm glad we, we did this. So so mitochondria, ATP, adenine triphosphate, if I remember, and you've got so yeah. they're making they're combining glucose and oxygen. So glucose C6H1206. So glucose already has oxygen in it, right? That's C6, six uh-huh. carbons, uh, twelve hydrogens, six oxygens. It's a whole molecule. It's, it doesn't have free radicals. It's, it's what they would call balanced. In other words, the number of electrons balance the number of protons. So the positive charged protons, the negative charged electrons balance, and the neutrons, of course, you know, they're, they're in there too. So we've got a stable atom. Right, because glucose, your oxygen right? and glucose, your, the mitochondria combine oxygen and glucose that produce carbon dioxide, water, and the ATP. So, you, you know, you got all the things. That, I mean, it's a very complex thing. But when you're able to test it and see where your levels are, you can better take the steps, you know, to address it. But obviously you can't address 
cigarette smoke, pesticides, ozone, the, the things that are happening in the world, those are things that, you know, are outside of your control. But they can okay. cause the formation of free radicals in the body. So let's 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 get to that. So so we got our C six. Hang on, I'm gonna do a little chemical. I haven't done a chemical equation in a long time. C six H twelve O six plus O two plus oxygen. Mm-hmm. So now we got O two. Uh, so now we've got C six H twelve O four. Right? Or no, they don't they don't come they don't bond. So then so we're not mm-hmm. bonding oxygen glucose. We're we're actually burning. We're using oxygen to break up the glucose and get the energy from it? Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's a little yeah, biochemistry, so but it's, it's interesting. So that's why that's antioxidants right. are really important. You know, okay, I don't want to get to yet. They can – yeah. Hold off on them just for a second. I want to make sure I understand this. I figure if I understand it, everybody else does too. So C6, H12. So we've got carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. We've got glucose. Plus yeah, oxygen. You know the numbers. So in, Go for it. I don't. So, so the mitre, well, I, this is high school chemistry. This is popping back into my head. Uh, I've talked about this before. So the mitochondria, the part of the cell that creates ATP, creates your energy that, that basically powers everything in your body, Right. So the mitochondria, do they split the glucose? Do they add oxygen? Do they, they burn the glucose? What, what, as simply as you can, what actually happens to create that energy, that ATP? And then you said carbon dioxide and water, which is everything yeah, it's, petroleum it's, breaks into. It's, well, okay. it's a lot of different, of different factors, honestly. Okay. I mean, right. it would take, like, we'd have to, like, really, like, we'd have to draw it out okay. on the board because the so, cell can... The cells contain so many small structures. Okay. You know, um, I think the buzzwords that most people are familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, is mitochondria. You know, okay. and like I said, it which works to generate energy, which can be a positive energy, or uh-huh. it can be a negative energy in the form of the a- ATP. So. So we're gonna, we're, all right, all right. Hang I, on, hang on. Don't do, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's make sure I get mm-hmm. this. So, so the byproducts. So when we do this, we're, so the, the glucose and the oxygen in the mitochondria create ATP, which is our energy source, and we'll talk about the good and the bad, but they also create the byproducts are, are carbon dioxide and, and water, did you say? Mm-hmm. So CO2 plus H2O, okay? This is, this is kind of fun. I haven't done this for years. All right, so, so we have ATP. So now we have energy, and we have so, – so the carbon dioxide created by this metabolic process, that's the carbon dioxide we're exhaling, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that has to get into the lungs somehow. So it has to go through the blood from the, so it has to go the cells in the blood, from the blood to the lungs, from the lungs to be expelled. The same way that the oxygen comes in and gets absorbed, right? How am I doing? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, good. Like, all right, okay. I love what I'm on track. So then the water. Now, what happens to the water? Does the water, because we're two-thirds water anyway, is the water in our body retained exactly. by the extra water we take in? Or is that eliminated too with waste products? Well, we have to retain some of it, right? Because, like you well, said, we're so. made up of water. <laughs> Got to hydrate. Okay, you know, but, so the water, but, so the water is either kept or or dumped, depending on on you know our body processes. So and now the current. So all right, okay. So this makes sense. So, well, you so know, in, we, a, in our urine, right? We get we're if our bodies are functioning correctly, we get rid of a lot of byproducts and waste in our in our urine, which that's been a normal process. Some people right. don't. So we take in water, that, which is then then a problem. All right. So we take in water, we take in, in sugar through food, 
you know, and so these things are combined. Mm-hmm. Then we get in, so the cells make energy out of that. That's what keeps us going. And then we exhale the carbon dioxide and the water. You know, we'll, we'll figure where that goes later. But the the energy itself, the ATP, adenine triphosphate. You know, the energy that's created uh, by this chemical energy that the body uses, you're saying there's good and there's bad. Now let's explain that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that gets into a lot of science. And like I said, I'm I'm, I'm not a naturopath doctor. I'm not a scientist. Make it simple. simple. What's good energy, what's bad um, energy? Good sugar, bad sugar? Help me out here. That's basically it. But again, it goes back to the external factor. Okay, we'll get those in a second. Right, so you've got good like external good... factors. You've okay. got, you know, if you're breathing in salt air, you know, and you're at the beach or, you know, you're on an island somewhere or, you know, you're in a place where there's no pesticides, you know, I mean, but it's hard to get away from mm. that, you know? Okay. Very challenging. And, so our bodies and, accommodate and that's by... to a certain extent. Pardon me? Our bodies accommodate yeah. to a certain extent. You know, we've adapted to yeah. pollution. You know, we adapt to a certain amount of solar yeah. radiation. We adapt to all kinds of things. Cold, heat, Correct. everything. All right. So the body's self Yeah, our bodies warm are made. Creatures. You know, God made our bodies to fight back, right? Our, our mm-hmm. bodies are made to heal themselves. Our bodies mm-hmm. are made to fight back these things in the, in the world. However, you know, like, like we've talked about before, and you probably said this on your show, today's world is not like when our great-grandparents were living, right? So mm-hmm. there's so yeah. many, there's so many man-made external factors that we have to consider versus generations and generations and generations ago. So it's kind of like this is a this is a poor analogy and it sounds kind of funny. You're not really comparing apples to apples or oranges to oranges and like literally, you know, an apple today is not what it was like 30 years ago. There's no way. So you've yeah. got that that's why you have so many more um, people with high levels of oxidative stress, you know? So, so is it too much oxygen or is it a bad form of it? Or is it a, is it, is it an oxygen form. radical like O1 or O3? O3 is ozone. So does the oxygen yeah. itself become a radical? Does the, the normal state of oxygen is O2, which is two oxygen atoms, you know, bonded together. That's the normal state of oxygen. Is there a free radical like O1 or like O negative, like, like a blood type? <laughs> what, is, what is the radical there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that number, specific number answer that you're asking for, I don't have. I don't know. Okay. Um, That's fine. Hey, but there not are all is, different is okay kinds here. of free yeah. radicals that are out there, uh, you know, that are doing harm to our body. Okay. So positive, here's what I know about, about the beaches, why beaches are good for you. Um, positive ions are, I think, the bad ones, negative are the good ones, and water. Correct. Wa- okay. So positive, bad, is, which is opposite of what you think. So when I was, when the big Xerox machines and those photocopy machines with the toner and everything else were the rage in the 80s and 90s in offices, I always got a headache. I couldn't stand those things. And I found out they throw off a ridiculous amount of positive ions. And so where we all felt good was the big fountain in the middle of the square. We all run to the fountain in the square because it's moving water and it throws off negative ions. The negative ions counter the positive ions, and that's why you feel good at the beach because there's all kinds of negative ions there from all that water churning up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So tell me yeah. about positive and negative that's ions. That's why How I think it's so go ahead. important to focus on, you know, the things that we can do to help combat it. Okay. You know? What can we and, do? And unfortunately, there's there's – only a handful and compared to how much our world is bombarding us now with so many, so many things to harm us. 
but we can we can eliminate a lot ourselves. You know, get the get the yeah. salad dressing without soybean or other oils. You know, eliminate the wheat. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get the jabs. You know, use your natural immunity. Get sleep, exercise, lose some weight. You know, get pure products, get organic products. And there's so many things well, that we can here, do to combat that, right? Correct. So like free radicals, antioxidants, uh-huh. they, antioxidants come from a lot of different sources. And our okay. cells naturally produce antioxidants, such as glutathione and different things like that. The challenge is, again, for right now, most people's bodies do not produce enough of these antioxidants to fight off the free radicals. Now, some do. Some absolutely do. Some absolutely do. Don't hear me wrong. I said most people. Most (laughs) people don't have enough antioxidants, such as glutathione and some of the other things that will help to combat the, the, the free radicals. And that's why we need to look at other external sources that we can use and implement to help fight those free radicals. So let me get this straight. So free radicals produced in your body, uh, and it's an oxygen derivative something or other. So an antioxidant is really an anti-free radical. It actually takes the radicals and does it convert it to a, a, a whole molecule or a whole atom? Does it take the negative charge out and add a po- I mean, take the positive charge out and add a negative charge to it? What does an antioxidant do? Again, basic you know, just, just yeah, working as well yeah, without they, the formulas. Okay, in general, in layman's term, antioxidants are substances external and internally that your body makes mm-hmm. and can produce that neutralizes or removes free, free, free radicals in your body mm-hmm. by giving off or donating, however you want to say it, an electron. So, and what happens is the neutralizing effect mm-hmm. of the antioxidants helps to protect the body from oxidative stress. But you need the antioxidant substances to neutralize the bad free radicals. So if you don't have enough of the antioxidants that you're getting from external sources and or glutathione that your body should be producing, Mm -hmm. you cannot effectively neutralize the effect of the antioxidants and you cannot, I said that wrong. You cannot effectively neutralize the oxidative stress in your body. Does, okay. that, does that make sense? It makes perfect because, sense. No, and and I th- I'm glad we went through this process. I know it might be a little tedious for people, but I think, you know. So we all know what an electron you, is, right? So antioxidants yeah. mm-hmm. are substances that remove free radicals. Right. Antioxidants remove free radicals by giving your, our body an electron to do, to do so, to get into whatever nastiness is going on, the oxidative stress, right? But if we don't have that, we have uh to help our body by giving it more antioxidants. So are the antioxidants, are they providing, are they also free radicals that bond with the other free radicals? So the good free radicals bond with the bad free radicals and combine to make something new? Or they just neutralize them. They just, like you say, throw off that extra electron and neutralize the the electric charge. Okay, all right, good. So and now we should, remove the free radicals. I wonder where that electron goes. It's probably another show. 
I wonder things like that. Well, if you're setting an electron, where's it going, Greg? I don't know. I'm just, you know, we're trying to keep this basic. But it is fascinating because the reason I want to do this is because people hear terms all the time on media, on commercials, on all kinds of stuff. You know, you you need antioxidants. Of course, we're all asking why. What's an antioxidant? What what is that? You know, that's why I do these things. That's why I go through these more lengthier discussions to really. So if anybody really wants to know, this is why. You have to know why you're doing right. that. Right, and when so, we do testing, when we do testing, mm-hmm. we can see what your glutathione levels are and what your oxidative stress level. That's why a person's nutritional intake or lack thereof mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it can be is a very important source of antioxidants. So your fruits and your vegetables um, may provide some of the essential antioxidants in forms of vitamins and minerals that the mm-hmm. body cannot create on its own, but Again, it's that vicious circle of going back to our fruits and vegetables are so tainted 98% of the time, which is why we should be cleaning them with vinegar or cleaning them with, you know, a substance because even organic is allowed to have a certain amount of pesticides on it. So, you know, when we say, you know, eat fruits and vegetables, well, obviously, you know, people should be eating fruits and vegetables instead of ding-dongs and wing-wongs, you know, but... (laughs) Um, that just kind of rolled off my tongue, sorry. That was good. Um, I'm I'm impressed. You know, but you can't eat enough. Like, you need copious amounts. Right. You know, you need the right amount and the right quality. So getting the clean quality of those foods is challenging, right? And we can only do the best that we can do, right? We Mm -hmm. have to do the best that we can do. Clean your your stuff, spray your stuff, et cetera, et cetera. but, and some people have low oxidative stress and their oxidative stress is normal. And it's, that's awesome. There's few and far between, but that is awesome. But that is one of the major things that I see. Like I've had oxidative stress and I didn't even like know it because I'm fairly healthy. I feel good. You know, I have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know what's happening. So I do glutathione patches. I don't take glutathione internally because not that it's not good but it, it's harder on the digestive tract and on the gut than doing um either a subdermal or a glutathione patch so um or like an iv a lot of people will go get i've gotten iv therapy you know where you can go get vitamin c and glutathione and all that stuff you know in your veins they have different places in different places um probably in every, every state you know you've got places where you can go get iv drips and things like that but the effects of oxidative stress, they vary. Like I said, they're not always harmful depending on the level. So could you get oxidative stress when you work out? Oxidative stress comes from physical activity. That's beneficial to your body, right? You're building your body. You're building your strength up. You're building your cardiovascular level. So we're talking about the negative effects of the wrong types of oxidative stress you know, which, which are caused by the free radicals. We're not talking about stuff that's called from, caused from physical activity and things okay. like that, which most of the time um, are not always harmful, are positive things. Hmm. We've heard a little time before. That, that, uh, that substance has come up a bunch of times with our World's Greatest Doctors panel uh, as a way to help neutralize some of the effects of the jab. So are you involved with that kind of thing? Can you tell me more about that? What is glutathione? Where does it come from? You know, how, what, what foods have it? You know, how do we generate more of it? And I guess we've mentioned the, the like you say, the IVs and the patches and things like that. What is this stuff? 
Yeah. It seems to be like pretty good stuff. Um, glutathione. Well, glutathione is something that your 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 body produces. You know, okay. like we said, on on its own. But most people's bodies don't produce. <coughs> excuse me. Don't produce enough of it to really make a big difference. Okay. Um, and so. Glutathione, it's a really, really, really important, I mean, it basically glutathione is an, is an antioxidant that's found in, in plants and an, animals. It's capable of preventing damage to the cells. I mean, it comes from all different types of, of sources, and that's its main job. Um, it's found naturally, like I said, in your body, and it's also known as GSH. Okay, and oh, it's produced by the liver that. and it, yeah, and it's produced by the liver and nerve cells. Okay. So, and and glutathione is actually is made from three aminos, acid, glycerin, and life life. I can't pronounce the word. And all the lysine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lysine and glutathione uh, and yeah, L-glutamate. Yeah. So glycine, L-glutamine, and L-glutamate. So glutathione is um um can help metabolize, metabolicize, like I said, the toxins in your body, as long as your body has, a, has enough of it. Okay. It's a very right, that makes complex. Sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, vaccine recovery, you know, spike proteins, jabs, blood clots, things like that. Does it help with that too? Yes, it can. But again, I okay. hate to say yes because we don't have enough concrete. We have a lot of hypothetical um, well, you can tell me that, too. I mean, I, you information, know, you know, based on the evidence yeah. that we have, you know? Right, right. See, I'm always about honesty here. So if, you, if you're speculating, I don't care. Just say you're speculating. If, you, if you're pretty right. sure about something, you can say that. If you know because you've got, you know, a gazillion studies that say so, you can say that, too. I don't mind any kind of, of difference between right. um, just guessing or I absolutely know as long as we state it. So you, you're free to, right. to, well, to speculate. Right, well, glutathione is basically you – know. uh-huh. It's three amino acids. It's made up of those three amino acids. Okay. You know, glutamine, glycine, and cysteine. You know, mm. and so it's automatically produced in your body, but okay. not everybody's body produces enough of it. But you can also get it, like I said, from external external sources. Hmm. So what are the best food sources for those of us that, that, that like the natural ones as much as possible? Oh, that's a really, 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 really hard fun because it's found in a lot of plants. So okay. that's kind of the way, you know. Um, what do plants uh, do with it? But good question. Good question. Look it up now. Hang on. Um, oh, let's have some I fun mean, here. Let me go. How do you spell it? G-L-U-T-A-T-H-I-O-N-E. It's better to get your glutathione from from a supplementation or from a patch, really. Okay. Um, if you need it, if you need it, like I said, that's why it's good to and you know and we always talk about NAC and glutathione. They're the best things to, that can work together for such a time as this. You okay. know, because they all. The bottom line is they all combat free radicals, which damage your, bo- your body's cells. So huh. that's the biggest thing. 
Um, well, we don't like radicals but, out there. I mean, we're, we've been radicals ourselves here, so you know, we have to, have to be careful of these things. Oh, no, this is terrible. Look at the sources. Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, and other cruciferous vegetables. Kale, mustard greens, yeah, watercress. Yeah, those are all my favorites. I, 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 don't even, I, I don't love like any of those. all that stuff. Or broccoli is ah, okay. See, In a pasta salad. Yeah, but, but again, cheese. I go back to the thing is, you can't, how much of that can you really eat? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh-huh, I do. That's, that's, that's with, you know, anything. So it's always, always good to take a great multivitamin to know what your body is depleted in, you know, and when I uh-huh. get test results back with the naturopath doctor that I partner with, and then we look at, see what they're missing, then my coaching tells them, okay, these are my strong suggestions. I send them a list of what um, nutraceuticals, not pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals. Ooh, big uh, difference. That are Explain that. Yeah. Explain that. That's yeah. key. Go ahead. <laughs> Nutraceuticals are all clean ingredients that are based on mostly herbs, mostly pure vitamins and things of that nature versus pharmaceuticals that are full of synthetics and full of things that will have a lot of side effects. And I know we're scrolling a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean to say nutraceuticals can't have some some side effects because you have to know what your body can handle, what goes with what what you're allergic to and things like this. But nutraceuticals are typically things that you can find in nature. It's just in nature because they're so tainted right now. You can't get the copious amounts of the things that you need from nature. So we need them in a different form to get our body to take them and absorb them and utilize them. Makes sense. Here's some good ones, though. They got garlic, onions, shallots, which I'll get, you know, occasionally, but garlic and onions. They're great. uh, Poultry fish and beef. So, so these are just basic foods. You know, most people have some right. poultry in their diet, you know, not, hopefully not the fried, you know, but uh, fish, right. yeah, a lot of fish, beef, not so much, but you know. Avocados, avocados are amazing, amazing for glutathione. Oh, I live on avocados. Actually, if I could pick three foods yeah. to live on, you know, avocados, um, macadamia nuts and key lime pie, that would be my diet. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. But again, oh, okay, you know, you got to be careful with glutathione <laughs> because if you right. take glutathione long term, your zinc levels can lower, you know, and, and, oh. and inhaled glutathione, you can have asthma attacks. So you need to know if you're sensitive to it. You need to know. I mean, there's so many different things. Now, granted, these are very, 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 very rare because most people can't get enough of, of glutathione mm-hmm. and these things. Okay. But um, you have to kind of know what you're working with what you're working with, but, you know, taking this mm. whole thing back to ac- oxidative stress, as you see, we've already talked about, gosh, there's how many components, right? So oxidative, mm-hmm. oxidative stress, you have to know, can do to help combat that. Will you get rid of it all? I don't know. Probably not, you know, but again, it's one of those things. You'd rather be proactive than, than not. See, that's why I like the food sources because, yeah, you might get kind of stuff of food, but generally there's not as much uh, of the nutrition in it. You can, your body hopefully will extract more if it needs it, but you're not going to overdose on avocados. At least I hope not, <laughs> you know, but right. uh, if you're looking for that. Uh, zinc, my favorite zinc is pumpkin seeds. So I, I may have this little... Oh, I love pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds are You great. know what? It's yeah. funny you said that because okay. we weren't talking about this, but I had this topic of conversation come up this week, you know, because... I am a vegetarian. Now, I do eat, I say that, that's a lie. I do eat some fish, right? 
because um, I like so this. You're but vegetarian I don't except for the fish? <laughs> yeah, I'm vegetarian except for the fish, right? There you go. Have a laugh at okay. me. Um, okay. But, you know, I don't, eat it in co- I don't eat it in copious amounts. I don't eat fish every day. But okay. I have found pumpkin seeds have 30 grams of protein versus a steak that has 25. Mm. Iron in pumpkin seeds is 110 versus 27 in a steak. And zinc pumpkin seeds are 71% versus 50, 56% in a steak. But so not pumpkin all pumpkin seeds, are, seeds are created equal. Oh, okay. Huh? So, so pumpkin seeds are better than steak is what it sounds like. Yes, and I'm grateful for that because I don't eat steak. So, okay. um, I eat but both. pumpkin seeds aren't all created equal because you can go and buy very inexpensive pumpkin seeds. You want to get right. the sprouted, sprouted pumpkin seeds. And if you go get regular pumpkin seeds and sprouted pumpkin seeds, you will see the difference. Regular big oh. pumpkin seeds are larger than the tiny And don't ask me why. They're probably genetically modified. You know, I don't have the answer. But I know sprouted um, are a lot more, this, that was really bad English. They are much purer um, and healthier and more nutrient-dense. Sprouted pumpkin seeds. Okay. And I'll just take the label, running cause... one ingredient, you can get them with sea salt or without sea salt. Yeah. Well, I, I get them unroasted, and I get. Uh, in fact, let me walk over and get the package right now. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I've never done this before. I'm just going to walk you across my, my my kitchen. I'll be right back. So here we go. Look at get my. Uh... <laughs> All right, I'm walking. I'll be right back. <laughs> it is horrible. Hang on. I'm over here now. <laughs> There we go. This is kind of funny. I could have muted myself, but I figured this would be more fun. All right. Uh, coming back. Hang on. Here we go. I'm back. Hello. <laughs> that yeah. has been funny. Yeah, that's all. And, you know, like I said, the supplementation that can uh-huh. boost your body's ability to produce glutathione or curcumin. You know, the spice. We have NAC. We have selenium, vitamin C, vitamin, right. vitamin E. You know, but again, you got to make sure that you're having those in the correct quantities and the correct form. Okay, so here my pumpkin seeds. So it's pumpkin seeds, raw shelled ingredients, raw shelled pumpkin seeds. <laughs> That's all it is. Uh, it's, it's from this right. company, Valued Naturals. So, uh, so I imagine it's pretty good. There's nothing you else know, in it to get to the nutrition content. Um, yeah, so I mean, it looks. I mean, I don't. I don't know if they're organic or not. But I would think they're certainly natural. And like I say, unroasted, unsalted, uh, all that kind of good stuff. Um, Pianki? Yeah. You just have to be careful because a lot pumpkin. of stuff is sprayed with so much stuff, you know? Hmm. Should I wash my pumpkin seeds? Pumpkin seeds can be poisonous, too. Why is that? Because yeah. you can have allergic reaction to them or they can be poisonous. They have to be prepared before you eat. It's just like a pounded yam that's found in Africa. If you don't prepare it right, it can contain arsenic and it'll kill you. Hmm. Right. There's, well, rice, there's like some rice has arsenic in it, you mm. know? So okay. rice does have arsenic in it, and that's why you have to be careful of the type of, of, the type of rice, you know, that you, that you get. Okay. Well, these things have done well. I mean, they haven't, they haven't killed me yet. <laughs> I'm just joking. But, uh, but the, the other thing about zinc, though, especially for men, zinc is like a, a testosterone booster, isn't it? It can be. Mm-hmm. No. 
See, everything's variable. You know, <laughs> I never get a yes or no answer from you. It's really funny <laughs> because I guess it all depends. Well, that's because <laughs> nothing is really a clear cut. There's nothing that's well, that's interesting. So okay. there are very few things in this world right now that are that are that are clear cut because anything in copious amounts or anything can you know be detrimental. Huh. Okay, but I think I'm you know? so I'm pretty well off with my with my raw pumpkin seeds. That look pretty natural. Yeah, like I said, I just I don't know what's been sprayed. I'll give you another example, and I'm I'm sorry for swirling on you because we're talking about oxidative stress. That's but, okay. Um, you know when people talk about you know pasta, right? This is a conversation for me that's been very prevalent this particular huh. week. I always tell people choose pasta that's made with 100% organic chickpeas or lentils, organic whole grains based on if your body can accept that, because some people can't have whole grains, right? You want to okay. choose organic a lot of things because wheat, even chickpeas, so if you go to the grocery store and pick out a chickpea pasta and it doesn't say organic, chickpeas and lentils and wheat, they're sprayed with pesticides if they are not organic. And you definitely don't want that. It's just like many people have heard of the brand name called uh, B-A-N-Z-A, right, which isn't organic. It's a, it's a chickpea pasta, okay, but it contains exanthem gum, which can disrupt the gut bacteria. So you want to choose an organic brand. So instead of Barilla gluten-free pasta, which isn't organic, you want to choose the, a tolerant brand. It's called T-O-L-E-R-A-N-T, tolerant organic lentil pasta. Um, there's a lot of gluten-free product, products out there, but the majority of them aren't organic, and they contain mono and diglycerides, which are um, potential sources of trans fat. And so you want to make sure everything is organic, because if it's not and you're buying a gluten-free or a chickpea pasta or a rice pasta or a wheat pasta, nine times out of ten, it's been sprayed with something. And so you can also do, you know, zoodles, which are um, noodles made out of organic zucchini. Or if you want a traditional pasta, there's mm-hmm. one brand out there that's good. It's called it's J-O-V-I-A-L, J-O-V-I-A-L. It's a brand that's made with um, an organic econ flour. And this is an ancient grain, which is good for you, and it's a great alternative to conventional wheat because it hasn't, has not been hybridized, you know, hybrid. So over time, um, a more nutrient-dense pasta will be much better for you. So that's been a big topic of conversation with because most of my clients love their pasta, love their rice several times a week. And so based on what their goals are, you know, I'm not going to say you can never have pasta or rice again. I'm going to say, what about quinoa? What about couscous? Are you open to changing the type of pasta that you have? And are you open to having it twice a week and flooding it with a lot of organic vegetables? You know, so you, just because you go buy a red lentil pasta, a gluten-free pasta, a, a chickpea-based pasta, that does not mean it is clean. Nine times out of ten, it has had something sprayed on it, you know, or mm-hmm. it can be, like I said, a hybrid. You know, like you can find what are those called? The different types of apples out there. Not, yeah. I mean, obviously they are GMOs, but you know, like when one thing mates with another, and you get like a different type of a, a 
a, a, a grape or a different type of an apple or a different type of a, like a, an orange or whatever. That's what we call, you know, a hybrid. A hybrid. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very, very careful with what you're choosing and with reading the labels, even though it may be not just a wheat product. Does that make sense? It does. I've got a couple more questions, but we only have about 10 minutes left. So I want to see if actually about eight minutes left. Uh, Pianchi, do you have a question at all? I know you've been listening patiently here uh, for, for most of our hours. We've been through uh, a little bit of a technical conversation, but I figured it was worth it. Pianchi? No, it's good information. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Well, let me ask this then. Um, U.S. goods versus, in, versus international. Uh, a lot of times, you know, being a big avocado fan, you know, the best ones are, are California because they're American produced. So they're going to have the best standards. When they say organic, it's really going to be organic. Uh, Mexican avocados are really good, but I'm not, I don't know absolutely whether they have, uh, you know, the same growing standards. I think they do, but I'm not sure. Um, but some of the other places you can buy things. Uh, are there different standards, different nations, you know, and are there any nations to avoid? Like, I don't want Chinese uh, uh, garlic, for example. That's, that's come back to all bleach and things like that. So are we better off with American produce, for example, just for that reason of the pesticides? You know, that's a great question. That's a great question. And I say yes. <laughs> okay. No, I, I know. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my quick, my quick answers as well. Not really my quick answer. I'll give you my four-minute answer since we have eight minutes. Um, okay. So we always say, and I think we mentioned this maybe on one of the radio shows before, we always mm-hmm. say support USA, support USA by USA, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, the UK and so many other places have a lot stricter, more beneficial rules and regulations to their food than the U.S. does. There's so many things banned in other countries than what are banned here. So I say yes to buying USA, but I say yes if you can go to your farmer and you can say, hey, has this been sprayed with pesticides? And if it has and you want to support your local farmer, I say go for it. I just say no to soak your, you know, your, your fruits and vegetables in some vinegar first. You know, white vinegar, make sure you're cleaning everything or buy organic, you know. So that's kind of my, my general consensus answer. The other second part to that is make sure you know what, you, you know, from a, from a cost perspective, which I mm-hmm. respect not everybody can go and buy 100% everything organic because their budget doesn't allow them to do so. However, that's a good time to know, and this may be a partial conversation for another time, is know what maybe the 10 items are that you should always buy organic no matter what, if you can, that you should splurge on. Know the items that maybe, okay, as long as you wash them well, you do not necessarily need to buy them organic. Such as I believe personally, now this doesn't mean I do it, because I do try to buy 80% of my products organic. Okay, Mm -hmm. I do. But as a general rule, my philosophy is if it has a thick exterior skin on it, that you can wash off with vinegar and that you're peeling off and not ingesting. If you, your budget does not allow you to buy those items organic, then don't, such as an avocado, such as a banana. Um, now, I say a thick skin. Apples, I would buy organic. Strawberries are the number one high. So, where'd you go? Can you hear, can you hear me? 
Uh, yeah, you just disappeared for a second. You said strawberries yeah, are the number know, one my, and we my, lost you. Yeah, my headset died. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, stra- so, like strawberries are the number one fruit that contain it, that you should always buy organic. Always buy organic. Okay. You know, like when we go strawberry picking as a family, we love to go strawberry picking. We are blessed within a 45-minute range to have an organic strawberry picking farm near us. So, you know, that's something that you're going to want to know what you can get away with not buying organic and what you should allocate in your budget budget to buy organic. Why strawberries? What's, what's, what's the, the problem with them? Because they're very porous. You can see oh, okay. it's almost like, you know, in your, in your face, if you have a lot of pores, some people have more pores than others, right? Think of that analogy right. when it comes to a strawberry. They have those little hairs on them. They've got these little pores in them. So when they're spraying, everything, no doubt. 100% into that strawberry. Huh. But you're saying the thicker skin ones, you, you have to make those organic. Like, uh, I would think a thicker skin would protect the fruit from uh, some of the That's what I said. That's what I said. Like, a thicker skin, you, you don't have to buy organic is what I said. Oh, I see. Okay. The the, All right. The, yeah, the thicker the skin, if your budget does not allow you to do so, then don't mm-hmm. buy organic bananas. Then don't buy organic avocados. You know, make, make sure you're saving that part of of your budget to buy the things, you know, those couple of oh, items that you know okay. for sure you want to buy organic. Yeah. 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 So, so berries kind of in general. general role. Yeah. But berries mm-hmm. in general, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, all those berries have thinner skins. So you want those right. all be organic. You could always be buying them organic. Okay. Correct. Uh, how about various nuts, yes. almonds, um, pistachios, things like that? Where do they come in? Pumpkin seeds? Yeah. We'll do those things. Yeah. Again, you can even look this up. Uh, nine, most of them have pesticides sprayed on them. Okay. So it's just you know a matter of of of, of choice. You know they they all all nuts have pesticides sprayed on sprayed on them. But the, it goes on you the know, shell. If they don't spray the them. they don't spray the inside part. They just spray the outside part. Correct. Correct. Hmm. But you don't know if you're not buying pumpkin seeds in the shell. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't know what they've done to those seeds in that bag. Gotcha. Does that, does that, you know what I mean? If you're going and you're buying a bunch of walnuts in the fall and you're actually cracking them yourself, mm-hmm. that to me is a different story than, well, they've already opened them, they've already processed them, they've already gone through whatever, they've already been put in a the bag, they've already been sanitized. You know what I mean? But it's convenient, CJ. They've already done it for me. It's convenient, he said with a grin. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I hope that um, helps. No, it does actually. I was thinking of the corn, especially the GMOs. You know, I don't, I don't like soy. I don't like corn. I mean, these things are, are permanently tainted. Uh, I'll get corn if only if it's like local produced, locally grown, and I know who's doing it. Uh, but for the most part, right. I don't really. I've given that up. I've given up the pastas and the breads. Uh, we should do a, a, a thing on, on gluten because there's a big distinction between celiac and those that are just kind of following the fad. And so that might be a topic for right. us at some point, too, because it's a serious problem. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So we've got a, got a minute and a bit. Like yeah, a minute and a half. Uh, anything you want to sum up, anything you're doing, working on websites, contact, um, anything like that. This has been fun. It's been, I love our free-ranging discussion. So even if you have a topic, you know, if you have a topic that you want to get through, tell me. Say, Greg, this is my topic. I want to talk about this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'd like to know, like I said, I would love to know from your listeners some of the topics that they would like to have discussed, right? Because I want to mm-hmm. make sure we're, we're benefiting them. I mean, everybody can always learn from any bits of knowledge, but if they have something like between now and the next time that we, we get together, I would mm-hmm. love to know, um, you know, specifically what, what they would like to know about. For me personally, like I said, right now, people are just wanting to know, hey, is there anything I'm deficient in? Do I have oxidative stress? What's going on? And they want to do the testing to find out because, again, it's easier for me to make recommendations or suggestions when I know rather than somebody just coming to me and saying, hey, what's a good source of vitamin D? What's a good source of I can tell you that, but I don't know what what your vitamin D levels are. I don't know what your vitamin C levels, you know, and too much of – it's almost like not having enough of something – isn't necessarily good, but having too much of something sometimes is not a good thing either, you know. And most people just kind of walk through life not knowing or not caring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like you have to test every five mo- every two months. You know, if you do one or two tests a year to know where your body is, because you only get one body, right, it gives you mm-hmm. something good. It gives you a baseline to work on or work with. And most people don't do that until they're in a situation or circumstance where their hand is forced to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in closing, because we're, we're pretty much done here, do you have like a public email? I've probably asked this before. Public email or a public website? And if not, we have the Action Radio yeah. uh, Life and Health Coaching page or Health and Life Coaching. I think it's Life and Health Coaching page. And that's a place um, that, uh, that I can get, take questions there. And, of course, this is the perfect topic for that. I don't know if you're there or not, or, or but it, I can always relay information to you. But so that's a place to go. If you want to reach me that's, with the health question, go to our Action Radio Life and Health Coaching page. It's a good place to do that. And for the guys that don't want to be there, we get the man page. <laughs> so we get we have, the, the the life and health is mostly women, and, and the man page, of course, is men. So I, we got both angles cut there. But uh, yeah, anything, any public yeah, place people so, can contact you, or or not? Sure. The best place, the absolute best place, is via email at h two o wellness network at gmail.com. That's H2O Wellness Network at gmail.com. And like I said, we offer several different types of testing because I work with a naturopath doctor. And then anybody that would happen to want any information or coaching from me, they would get a count if they mention Action Radio. So that's the best place to contact me. That's great. Yeah, I keep forgetting it, but uh, I've got it in my system. I just, you know, don't have everybody's email in my head. Okay. So tip for the week, or uh, oh, we just consider this whole hour the tip for the week. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, right. yeah. I guess, like I said, you know, with with the economy the way it is, just make sure you're educating yourself on what you're what you're purchasing, um, on what you're purchasing. Basically, you know, I guess that's mm-hmm. really what I what I want to say, yeah. and make sure that you're you're. You're picking the things that you need to have organic, organic. If you have any questions, reach out to Greg. Um, let him know, you know, put my name in the, in the subject or this, this hour of extra radio in, in there or send me an email. But, again, use your budget wisely and allocate where you need to allocate to make the best nutritional choices for yourself. Yeah, and generally the the the, the natural produce and, and natural meat products are going to be cheaper than your processed foods with all the chemicals and packaging and deep frying and uh, mono and diglyceride and everything else that's thrown into them. And if the ingredients are too long, don't eat it. <laughs> that's my tip. CJ, thank exactly. you. Exactly. 
Let's do it next week. You are so welcome. It was a pleasure. Have a blessed day, everybody. And I will talk to you all next week. Sounds good. You have a blessed day, too. All right. Got to go. Right, Cancel. We'll talk to you later, too. And we've got to – thank you. Uh, Dr. Malone, uh, Dr. Robert Malone tomorrow at 8 a.m. Central Time. And so that's going to be fabulous. We've got to Derek Park before that, 7.30 Central Time. And the, the last hour, I have no idea. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Probably be talking about things that Dr. Malone talked about. But that's what we have on, on deck. And, of course, my, uh, my public email, greg at writeyourlaws.com. Our, our, way, our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. The site you're listening to, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. My new articles are at gregpenglis.substack.com. And, of course, you can contribute at givesendgo.com slash actionradio. A couple things to play for you, and I'll have our, musical, our classic musical selection for the day, which I have to look up and see what it is. I keep forgetting. Um, but I'll see you all tomorrow morning, Friday morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. 
you can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.